You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you're well. The interview subject coming up for you, it's David Gale. He's from the Australian Scar, punk rock, rock, and reggae outfit, The Porkers. But that's not why I asked him to come on the show. He's got a new outfit called Kuroshi. We talk all about it. Something else about David. I've actually played in a band with him before, so this is the first time I've had someone on the show who I've shared a stage with, so that's exciting. Anyway, let's have a listen to what David has to say about Kuroshi and a whole bunch of other topics. Let's go. Pretty interesting day uh, otherwise, but uh, I might have to change strategy with something fairly important that I've got going on business-wise. But apart from that, mate, I've been looking forward to our chat. <laughs> yeah, bloody hell, it's been forever. I don't remember the last time I saw you, probably one of those gigs. That, it might have even been that one at the casino that we did that night. No, we met yeah. We caught up with each other at Living Colour, remember? Yes, we did. That's right. That was, uh, oh, God, December the year before. 2018, December 2018. It all only feels like yesterday, of course. It does, yeah. Living colour. I mean, any gig of theirs feels like a uh, a fresh bouquet, and you can still smell it, you know, because it's just outstanding. But okay, two, two and a bit years ago, fair enough. We are one well, of the few people at... that get it. You know, that's what I've been saying. Like, uh, you know, with all these interviews that I've done, Living Colour are one of those bands that had such an enormous impact on me, not just as a listener, but as a musician, as you oh. can probably tell. 100%. Mate, I still remember the day where I was exactly that moment that I heard Cult of Personality for the first time. It's, Same it, here. There's not, there's, not many, there's not many songs where I can pinpoint the fucking exact moment that I was just walking past the TV and just went, hmm. oh, whoa, you know, what's that? I mean, it was this, I had the same feeling when I was at Coachella and my mm-hmm. sister and I, we flew over to see uh, Rage Against Machine when they got back together in 2008. Mm-hmm. 2008, 2007, 2008. Um, and we were just, you know, first day walking past in tents. We were tired, you know, just long day in the desert. And we heard this music coming out of a tent. And same thing, we both looked at each other and went, oh, my, uh, what's this? And we walked inside, Amy Winehouse. Fucking hell. It was just unbelievable. Unbelievable, just the music and her voice just made us stop in our tracks. Yeah, you know, and, and it was just one of those same moments where it just is above. You know, we listen, I mean, same as you, we listen to I listen to Elton John, I listen to Slayer and everything mm. in between. And when something stops you in your tracks like that, pretty special. But, um, yeah, the living color, but with um, Vernon, that influenced my playing, it was that such a profound. Thing, you know, um, it just made me look left, you know. Just say you do solos, but all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but I want to look over here, you know. That's that's my head's always been over there, but I didn't let it, I didn't follow where I wanted to be. And I, yeah. I started doing it because I heard him do it and go, well, it's, it's just right, man, just go with it. It's the other thing, too, is I've had conversations with all of the guys in the band except for Corey. Okay. And for the podcasts, obviously, just with the yeah. interviewing and the like that I've been doing, it's one thing to love their music, but when you meet them, and they say not to meet your meet your idols or your heroes, but when you meet these guys, and they're such tremendous fellows as well, like you can actually go there and have the type of conversation you always wanted to have, yeah, and nice. the personality matches what you always thought you hoped that they would be like, and it just makes you love the band even more. 
if, if that was possible. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, mate, right. I, I, you look fantastic. I mean, look, I hate to bring this sort of stuff up because if you're uncomfortable with it, tell me to fuck <laughs> off. But Never. I don't know, it was a couple of years ago that we saw each other. You've lost, what, 20 kilos or something? Uh, 51. Jesus Christ. I yeah. uh, In June last year, I was 133 kilos. Uh, and I I tipped the scales about three weeks ago at 82. Um, now that I'm off that program of just ridiculously low calories and you know uh, just eating not much. Oh uh, no, well that's that's a lie. It's, it's, uh, I was I was never hungry. It was just a lot of the the greens and the the low calorie things that you know make you know I basically. The science behind it is that you're, you're turning off your pancreas. You're not producing insulin because insulin plus the fatty stuff clash and it just stores all your shit. So if you're not producing insulin, when you're eating only the good low-calorie stuff, your body has one choice, and that is to hit your reserves. I did zero days, zero minutes of exercise in, you know, seven months and lost, yeah, 51 kilos and fast. I mean, obviously, you know, it was, it was between – my best, you know, you'd go from, say, a, a bad week was, say, 0.8, 0.9 kilos or and then a good week was like a two, two and a half. And, yeah, you just kept doing it and kept doing it and stayed focused and willpower has always been one of my big strong points. And, uh, you know, now with, uh, yeah, you know, you've got your kid to think of and, yes. you know, I'm, I, I turned 50 last year, mate, and I've got a seven-year-old. So I, I need to prolong my years for as long as possible because, um, you know, my life experience is let me run amok and play silly buggers for a, a lot longer than, um, you know, many. I was lucky in that respect. And uh, but now I have my, my, my precious little girl. I'm, you know, I don't want to miss a moment, you know. Was was there an epiphany for you or is, is that it? Is that because, I'm, I'm, you know, you and I are in a similar position, as we know. Like, so was that, that it? You've got your, you've got your lovely daughter there and you just want to make sure you're around for as long as you possibly can be. Do you know, a couple of years before that, actually, it was a while ago, I got to, you know, I split up with my wife and started not looking after myself too much. You know, you get a bit depressed and, you know, not, you're out of routine and you're kind of living at home and, you know, it's a lot easier to make cheese on toast than it is to cook up, uh, yes. you know, a Thai chicken salad. At McDonald's on the way home after a gig, yeah. And, you know, the, the treat food became the regular food, really. Um, and, you know, I remember seeing or reading about, I think it was Guy Leach, one of the most ridiculously fittest men in the history of the universe, mm. driving his car, heart attack, into a tree, and, and unfortunately died. And all I could think of was that if you're the fittest man on the planet and it's your time, it is your time. So I've gone, oh, well, doesn't matter what anyone does, just live life, run a mark, do what you got to do, and when it's your time, it's your time. And so that mindset wasn't self-destructive in any way, but it was really a um, uh, it, it kind of just let me just go out and, and it reduced my care for a while. But uh, it was probably about six months before I started, so end of say 2019. So yeah, end of 2019, I remember just I was at the top of the train station. The train was about to pull out. Yeah, you, know, you just run for the train to catch it before you go. So I ran down the stairs, all of eight seconds worth of a bit of a jog. And I got in the train and and I couldn't breathe, couldn't breathe. And, you know, you sit on the train wheezing in front of packed train, not looking very cool at all, trying to hide the fact that you were sucking in the biggest ones ever. And 
and I knew this isn't right. It, it's this, no, something, this is not right. And, uh, you know, I was getting to the stage where I'd walk from uh, the station to work, 15 minutes, and I had to get a locker and have a shower at work because I'd be that sweaty just from a okay. – I wouldn't, I wouldn't pump or anything. I'd just go at my pace, but you're just a fat shit and you're just sweating your ring off. And so you get to work and have to have another shower because you're all sweaty and change your clothes and things and just shit like that. And um, I couldn't keep up. My daughter's a little firecracker. She, get, she wakes up and she's off until she puts her down to bed and uh, keeping up with her, you know, riding a bike. And I, I found myself, you know, oh, can we ride our bike? I'm like, oh, let's play Minecraft and just shit things like that. But, yeah. you know, eventually just went this, no, 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 fuck it, no. And on Facebook, I had another mate who I'd seen drop some kgs. And so I got in touch and said, mate, what are you doing? How'd you do it? And he's, I said, oh, just a, this program, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, lazy fairly by nature I am. So I said, oh, how many times did you go to the gym? And he said, a total of zero minutes. And I thought, all right, I'm on board. Bang, how do I do it? Yeah. Let's go. And he put me in touch with uh, the guy and we had a chat and I cleared the house. So basically uh, I didn't start at that minute. It was more, you know, once I finished my last can of Coke Zero, I didn't replace it. Once the last packet of chips was gone, I didn't replace it. Just mm. pretty much made the cupboard bare and went, all right, let's do it. And that was about mid-July. And to be honest, once I cut out milk and beer and just the shit I would normally have, I dropped like four and a bit kilos in three weeks just mm. by not having that stuff. But once I hit the program, it was bang, just shredded. So I was in a 4XL polo and this T-shirt is now a medium. Did you weigh less than I do? You know that, and and Sweet. I consider myself out of shape. Yeah, because I'm about yeah. 89 kilos. I'm not. Oh, oh God, I hope I'm not obese. I don't feel obese or anything like that. The BMI will tell me I'm way above what I should be. I can the BMI still... say you're obese because the BMI is pretty harsh. It doesn't oh, give you ridiculous. much. Yeah. Well, according to the BMI, I should be about 65 kilos for my height, or no, 68 yeah. kilos for my height. It's like it's never going to happen. No, so um, um, I'm I'm in the overweight stage now rather than obese. So I'm supposed to be with my height about 76 kilos. But mm. what happened, because I lost so much weight so quick, I, you know, I was starting to get a little bit of extra skin. And you see guys over there, tummy tied, and they just have all these rolls of skin like Jabba the Hutt. And I thought if I get to that, I'm, I'm going to be as miserable as I was before, you know. Mm-hmm. So I've got tiny little bits here and there, not noticeable unless you look for them. I've gone, well, no, no, this is good. I feel great. I lost fucking 50 kilos. So obviously, I've done something right, but I don't want to get to that phase where I just have all those rolls and I can't take my daughter swimming without big mm. T-shirt and shit because then I feel like a fuckwit. So, um, yeah, I, I got to where I wanted to and uh, now it's just about maintaining. So before where it was every meal was really strict, you got about that much room to move. Now it's mm. a bit more holistic about the week. So, you know, you got your calorie is this per day but over the week you know if you go there one day and you go there the next day and just balance it over your week and and that's how you maintain so um yeah it's cool it's easy and now i'm in that mindset now that you know i want to do this and being a fairly fussy eater i just picked stuff that was on the list that i liked and Mm. smashed that out it's cool so i spoke better well, it's just, this is the point I was going to make. I've spoken to people who've lost a ton of weight and they hate themselves still from the perspective that that discipline has forced them to give up all of the things that gave them so much joy. It, that hasn't – I can see, man, for, for people listening, you've got a beer, you know. And the mindset, though, is king. Okay, so you've obviously got a lot of courage to do this, and I've got to say that because it, it must – 50 kilos, mate, is uh, 
that's it's got to be it's for the program that you were on where does that fall in terms of achievements and accomplishments it must be on the higher end of the scale do you get that data yeah. they um yeah the the guy said look there there was um some people do it and aim for like a 2025 sort of thing and some people are just monsters and they just smash it out and the, the the big weight loss that we do, you know, for the for those who need to or choose to is is good. And I mean, you can lose this much and more if you get your tummy tied, but it doesn't train your brain to get those stomach bands and stuff. This way mm. it's 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 holistic and you know, it's it's discipline it's and you're, you're training your way to do it and you know, and the science behind it is is infallible. You can't it, it doesn't not work. Um and, and now I'm, you know, I know what's good and what doesn't, and it's just automatic now. You know, if I'm walking past, you know, uh, a, a slice of banana bread at Coles, I think, oh fuck, that looks good. Don't need it. Keep walking. Um, mm. Friday night, I went to uh, went to the Valley to see some bands. It was one of the punk fest shows for uh, Four Triples Out. Beer, so it was fat and flange of panties and a whole bunch of cool punk bands that I really like. And mm. that was my first beer since June, and I had four or five or something, and. You know, I even had a couple of slices of pizza that night as well, first time since June as well. Um, so Saturday, just took it easy and, you know, made sure I had my veggies and got back on track and, you know, kept my carbs down. And it's, and it's about that balance. And I always knew and always said that I'm never going to stop living and, and doing the things I enjoy. It's just that mm. the things – and ironically, having that pizza, it was – I remember the taste going, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool, this is nice. But now, later, I'm there going – yeah, I can feel the oil in my guts because I'm so cleansed now, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh, it's just a, um, I didn't get the same enjoyment as I would have back then. And when you're a big, big boy, you, you, your food is a real comfort thing as well. So I don't need that as comfort anymore. Mm. Do yeah, people uh, do people recognise you? Because, I mean, I know, what, I, I, I could always tell by someone's eyes who they are, but to, to some people I imagine you're probably unrecognisable from where you used to be. My mum uh, saw a photo on the Facebook and she rang up and asked if it was me. Wow. She didn't, my mum didn't know. Uh, the, I've made it work. I'd meet up for a drink, you know, in the lobby of the of our office block. You know, they work on another floor, so I'm standing there and they come out of the lifts and walk past me. Oh, fuck, guys, come on. You know, <laughs> hello, hey. Yeah, so um, it's there's there's a bit of that. Um, and that's it's kind of funny a little bit, I suppose, um, and – it's fairly rewarding. I mean, that's you know, I didn't do it for the the recognition. I mean, I, I've found that there's been a lot of people who've been influenced by it. Um, I bet you can see. I mean, you can see Jared for Subway ads losing all that weight, but you just think, oh, it's just an ad, it's just on the telly. But when you see a mate yeah. who's done it, like, and you go, well, I know him, and I knew him before, and I know him now, and clearly he's doing something right, and. They might not, you know, it's not necessarily get on the same strict program, but my sister's lost 10 kilos. I've had a mate lost 12 just by cutting shit out or give mm. me some tips. I'm just like, you know, do this, try that, do this. And I have a bunch of people who just, even if they're just dropping four or five kgs, I said, oh, we just saw you and we just wanted to start doing that, see if we could do it. It's like, cool, man, just, it, it all helps. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an advocate for fitness. I think that'd be misleading and sure. not right. Depending, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my, lifestyle and all but um you know again it's it's all about those internal requirements and my internal driver is you know my, my child just you know yeah to be able to to spend more time with her, you know she's she'll be eight this year and you know the you know what it's like you know the the 
the level of conversation and the shit you can do with a seven, eight-year-old is different than a lot, you know, three-year-olds are cack and you have so much fun and you get to play with cool toys and whatever. But, you know, now she talks about her music and, you know, and loves, you know, we listen to Frenzel Rom and Skrillex and now, <laughs> but we also listen to Bee Gees and all the Disney songs and Beastie yeah. Boys and just heaps of stuff. And it's, it's great share, having that, you know, in common because she's old enough now to, do those things and understand how it all works and uh, uh it's, it's cool it's a special time and i know that you know this is all for her and if, if you if you've got that genuine focus and goal it's it really helps you achieve i mm. think uh, how, how did your your new mindset and lifestyle how did that link in with the new project here so forgive me if i say it incorrectly but is it karoshi or karoshi um the the japanese way is karoshi um, but we just say Karachi because that's the way it's going to be pronounced everywhere. Um, it, <laughs> it was a kind of a driver. We had this running gag saying, look, I always kept saying, look, well, we're in Europe playing festivals. I want, to be, I want to be standing there in a pair of shorts, you know, no shirt and whatever. So I've got to lose the weight. So, you know, it's just not some big fat shit they're going to throw tomatoes at, you know. So that was always the running gag is keep going, keep going. And that was always in my mind going, you know, I want to be able to, you know, I've got photos of me playing with porkers at Soundwave or, you know, whatever else we were doing and, yep. you know, just a big, big trunk and jumping around like a big fatty and that's all fine and didn't affect my playing at all and always had, always had the stamina and, you know, I could always play. That was fine. But um, now it's, it was more about, no, no, I just want to stand at a festival playing a pair of shorts and not feel awkward and want to lift the guitar up and cover my, you know, man boobs and shit like that. So, um <laughs> So that was part of it, but um, I guess you know it's it's, it's going to help stamina wise. Now that I'm off the program too, you know, I, I, there is light exercise. I go for a bike ride every three or four, like three or four times a week. Just you know, easy 10, 12 k's, you know, yep. around where I am, and um, you know, a bit of a swim here and there. I we do. There's uh, a guy who here in my complex who runs like aqua aerobics in the pool on a Tuesday night. So I did that earlier <laughs> with a few of the other. The folks in the complex, it's great. It's good fun. You know, it's just good workout in the pool and a bit of resistance and, you know, I'm, I've no plans on turning into a Schwarzenegger or go to the gym and get super toned and whatever. That's not of interest, but, you know, just keeping healthy and getting your blood rate up and your heart pumping a bit more to just keep you, you know, mm. fit and healthy and stuff. And it's all to do with that because – you actually, I've actually lost a bit of muscle mass as well as part of this whole shred. Sure. And so yep. I need, I want to be able to have that aerobic stamina to be able to play the gigs. You know, this this music is it's high energy and it's no different to when I play a Porkers gig. That's, it's full on, you know, for, well, Porkers is, is like hour 15, hour and a half when we play. We haven't done a Karoshi gig yet. Um, There's obviously the bands and things like that, but, um, you know, they're the things that, with releases coming up that, you know, where we're looking into how, you know, where do we do that? How do we do that? And uh, hopefully that'll be soon. I've got to say, I think you're the first, yeah, you're the first guest that I've had on the podcast in almost six, actually, I think I'm over 600 interviews now. It, it gets, it changes because I've done about 550 podcast episodes, but there's about a hundred and or so beforehand that were done for print media and the like. But yeah, right. you're the first person I've had on the, on the show that's actually, I've actually played with, I've been in a band with. And, okay, yeah, right. and just for some for the listeners' benefit, you were in you're still in the porkers or you were in the yeah. porkers? No, yeah. I still did the porkers. 
they all live in Newcastle, so that's a good thousand or nine hundred kilometres away from where I am. Um, so the Porkers but, and the Porkers, just for reference, are Australia's premier ska punk outfit. Um, they have to be realistically because there's nobody else that's been going that long, and certainly with the profile that the Porkers have got. But how you and I met was through playing in covers. I talk about that a lot on the podcast, and it's just so as though we can stay have skin in the game and the like, and just keep our chops up. But you're a fucking excellent guitarist, I've got to say. And I, I loved playing with you because you're just one of those guys where I know I can turn up and I don't think. I'm not, I'm not, and this is the greatest compliment that I can pay to a musician when I'm playing on stage. I'm not listening to what you're doing. I just trust that you've got it. And that is so fucking rare. <laughs> and you know what I mean. It's ironic, <laughs> isn't it? You know, because you're playing with someone good, you want to listen to them, but you don't have to because you're just cool. And, well, and I think the same. And I've, I've raved about your, I mean, that was a that was a good little unit, you know, that mm. you and I had this, you know, similar likes, similar everything, and just click straight away, and it was delightful to uh, play. And you know, I, I was at Mark's place, the other guy in Karoshi, up for barbecue mm. on Sunday night, and you know, I said, "Oh, I'm doing this on um, Tuesday," and I said, "Oh, dude, you didn't play bass? It's fucking unreal." <laughs> you know, oh, I was talking out there as well, you know. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, well, I thought I'd mention it because it's uh, I've talked about it a lot and sometimes I think because I do have a built-in audience. There's there's quite a few people out there that will listen regardless of who I've got on the show and and I thought this is great because I know we're not here to talk about that but I just thought, yeah, I'll bring it up because then it's proof positive. Yeah, I've been out there. God knows I've posted enough videos and images <laughs> and stuff. I actually have somebody that I've played alongside on stage and isn't that so true? And this is the litmus test. God knows I'm so grateful I can have you on just to mention this, okay? I always say <laughs> the test of a great band member is what we talk about in the breaks and you and I always talked about rugby league. We just got, oh. our, got our beer and we talked about rugby league and I remembered that because that's the if I could put the that's the barometer of whether or not I'm going to get on with the musician or not. And it's true too and, and <laughs> I found that some people when if you talk to people who work in a bank when they're not working at the bank all their friends work in the bank and all they talk about is working in a bank and teachers yeah. are the same and teachers are a different breed. I love teachers and nurses. I think they're phenomenal. But you know what I mean? So musos who only talk about music is kind of, it's good, but if you have more interests, you bring that to your music in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm more I'm a fantasy football addict, you know, the, the strategy and all sort of bullshit behind it all and I love all that. But, I mean, your team, pretty shit my team shit as well but but your team what do you do you know um that's what i keep saying to people it's like it's not a choice it's it's horrible being a tiger supporter <laughs> there's just it's just endless disappointment it's just forever sadness <laughs> you just may as well get that tattoo of a ninth place on you somewhere because oh, it's a always benji benji and robbie you hang around like a bloody bad smell and won't piss off to god knows whatever you know retirement village they need to go to I and mean, benji especially it's mm. just, it's like, mate, give up the ghost. You've, you've had your run. You're not Cameron Smith. And yeah, because Cameron played till he's like 803, I think everyone wants to be Yoda as well and prove to themselves and everybody else, I can do yeah. it too. Uh, you can't. You've you got to know your limitations. And again, that is it true in football as it is in music. You know, or, you know what you can play and what you can't. I know what I can do really well and what I can't. And so you focus on the bits that, you're good at and go hard on those and you can either work on the bits that you're not good at or just kind of deviate and twist and change it to your benefit, you know. So yeah, it, those principles are aligned 
in anything mm-hmm. you do, I reckon. So, look, with, with Kuroshi, there are two cuts that are in the public domain, and I've had to listen to both. And everybody out there can listen to both on Spotify or Apple Music. I'll let you know it's on there too. Uh, mm. You probably put it up there, but if you didn't, sometimes these things, you know, they, they end up on these streaming platforms and you're like, ooh, how'd they get there? But Fire and Become. So let's talk about these two to begin with because yeah, Become to me sounds like one of the greatest songs Ministry never wrote from when Mikey Siaka was in the band. <laughs> you know, with your guitar playing, because I hadn't heard that that element of your guitar playing before, that that almost that metallic thrashy is Slayer style thing that you've got going on, which I just adore, by the way. And I we, think we didn't really play that kind of songs in the covers band, you know. I think um, when we're playing Hold the Line, I think was the closest to it. Hold the line. <laughs> what was the, just just as another aside? What was the what was the most unmetal song you and I ever performed in that band? What would it be? Would it be? Uh, did we do that Olivia Newton John song or the ABBA song? Was it be one we of those two? We would have done both. Um, we did a variety of sort of uh, it could have been anything. I don't know what what there were at the time. We did a John Farnham song. We did "You're the Voice" that night, or or was it "Pressure Down"? I know we did a John Farnham song. No, we did um, "You're the Voice." We definitely did. Yeah, we did "You're the Voice," and we we have done "Pressure Down." I think um, yeah, right. just within another incarnation of the band. But what's the Olivia physical? That's right. We we did physical. How unmetal is that? <laughs> I love playing it though. I keep saying that to people. I love the bass lines in those cuts. Some of those tunes, man, you can play old dodgy songs like that and they're, they're a lot of fun to play and once you play them, a lot of people think you threw in a covers, band. they've got to play it like the record, but I reckon learn it like the record, then play it like yourself and funk it up a bit or I make agree. it a bit heavier if it needs a bit of a drive, then give it a bit of a chunk and things like that. And um, But, yeah, some songs are just a cack to play and even if you don't like the song, when you see people in the crowd arm in arm belting the song out for as loud as you can, in a, in a old band I played when I was younger, we used to play Time of Our Life from uh, Dirty Dancing and just watching an entire pub sing louder than your PA system. So it's just hilarious and it's just fun. And a lot of, I mean, I, I'm a pure, everything I do, I, I just it needs to be fun for me and it doesn't matter what it is. And, and that to me is fun. Just watch it, everyone. You can start at the song and you see all the guys in their beers just looking at each other going, oh, are they fucking serious? Ten minutes, you know, a couple of minutes in, and they're all just, oh, you know, singing as exactly. if they're in the shower. You hit the chorus. In the You're so true that as soon as you hit the chorus, they all staring mm. at each other. All these big guys, you know, that have come out to the casino or wherever they might have gone mm. to, they're they're drawn into this moment, aren't they? And and the other one that that happens in is Footloose. You just you just <laughs> see people just lose their shit whenever we start playing uh, Footloose, and it's you can't it's, not dance. <laughs> you can't not. Okay, yeah, this is true. This is oh, true. Man. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the um it was good to get the 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 let out, so to speak, on the uh, on the on the newer tracks and um yep. that one we you know the reason the, the name came out, which is basically uh Death by Working is the tra- rough translation for uh cut off sheep. Uh-huh. And it was mainly because um I found uh a, you know whatever it was online, one of the musicians wanted ads or whatever like that, and I'd been wanting to do like a prodigy thing sort of vibe, that kind of vibe since I was in the Nice. I've never found someone who did the programming side of it in Sydney where I grew up, never found anyone. And, you know, just happened to look on this musician's website one day and saw programmer, you know, looking for a guitar player to play big riffs over like Prodigy. And it's like, well, hello, that's nice. And um, from that ad, I would just record little riffy things into a microphone and send it to him. 
I didn't meet him for about nine or ten months, like because he was just busy all the time with work or I had to work or whatever, and that's how the name came about because we just always work and we couldn't get together and do anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Mark later said that uh, when I contacted him, that was the last day he was going to have the ad up there because he hadn't had any response. He was about to pull it down and uh, it was just that last sort of day when he was starting to think, ah, oh, it's not going to happen, that I've gone, g'day, how you going? And boom. So, you know, we are uh, first time I met him, met him actually we, was at the Pendulum concert at the Tivoli in Brisbane a few years okay. ago. Yep. We both had tickets. Uh, so that was good, you know, we caught up and could say g'day, how you going and whatever. And from there we kind of uh, got to spend a bit more time. So we still kind of have the same collaboration where uh, one of us will have sort of an idea and switch to the other one. He's the programming computery guy. I am very basic at those. So... I'm more the ideas guy. So we, we normally do a couple of things backwards and forwards and then we'll have a bit of a sesh at his house and work out structure of a song or, you know, maybe that sound needs to be tweaked or maybe the kick needs to be matching that rather than that. And so we have a good sesh at his house and nut out the nuts and bolts of a song. And uh, the, the music for that one was first known as Dark Castle. Um, it was just an instrumental and, you know, various incarnations or whatever and, um, it was coming on quite nicely, you know. That riff was cool. It was chugging away. It sounded oh, big yeah. and stunning riff. Yeah, it was just sweet. And um, and I, <laughs> again, I'm going to give you a rap, sir, because you know, <laughs> no, knowing each other quite well and the music we like, I remember sending you an instrumental version, going, "Hey, I'm, doing, I've got this new thing going on, and listen to this instrumental, and this is what we're doing." And you've just gone, "Ah, that sounds great." It reminds me of Insurge a little bit. And I thought, "Oh yeah, good call." <laughs> And I mentioned it to Mark, the Mark in the band, and um, just you know, had a bit of a chuckle. And three days later, he's gone. So I looked up Chris from Insurge on Facebook and sent him a message and asked him if he wants to, if he'd be interested in collaborating. And we don't know him from a bar of soap at all. Like I, I just didn't know him, and it was only just your off the cuff. Oh, it sounds like this. We've gone. Oh, yeah. Mark's just taken it upon himself to send him a message. Say, g'day, how are you going? Here's a song, you know, sing on it. And he's listened to it and gone, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> it's very nice. And oh, I mean, man. the timing of it, we find out that later. That's so better. cool. It is. It was just very serendipitous, you know. We are, the timing, because he was doing his own uh, solo album and it was kind of more of a low-key thing. Mm. And so, you know, talking to him later, he just said it was just great timing because his solo album was purposely a much more low-level sort of thing. So to be able to still have skin in the old game and be able to, you know, scream his nuts off for a track is a nice sort of counterpoint to the the release. Um, and we were very happy because he's still got it, bless him. So uh, He does bloody have it, man. He, he actually is sounding better than I've ever heard because I love yeah. Power to the Poison people. Still. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Oh, man. He, he did a great job and he just basically uh, screamed some stuff out, just put, press play and just ad-libbed a few takes and sent sent them to us and so we then went, okay, that, cut that, and, you know, there were some sentences that were that and we took the first half of that sentence and put them with the second half of a different sentence to make the phrasing sort of fit and how it all worked yes. and put it all together and send it back and say, what do you reckon? And he's going, yes, very nice. And uh, so we, we you know, did uh, record it in the studio, did all the stuff we needed to do, and then uh, we sent it down. He's in Melbourne, so I still haven't met the guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Uh, but yeah, we sent it down and he did the same thing. He uh, sort of learnt 
the mashed version that we did and then did that and then did a few kind of alternate takes as well. And so on the recording, if you do have your headphones on, you can hear the main vocals there, but some of his other alternate versions we've kept and you can kind of just hear him in the background. So his normal strong rise going on, but you'll hear these little things just just in the background. We've kept them because they just sounded really cool. It was very interesting to leave them sort of like that. A lot of people double their vocals for the mm-hmm. to make them sound full, but we didn't do that. We left that and then we added the different ones and that's where the colour comes from, we found. Um, there's actually two parts on the recorded version that you can hear on the Spotify that are from the the demo that he sent up the first place because they just sounded a bit more raw and real than when they were redone and recorded with the purpose of the recording. Mm-hmm. So um, at the very first when he just goes, like right at the very start before the big riff start, that was from his just demo. That was just first time we've heard it and just didn't match that. So we kept that one and there's a little bit later on as well. So you've actually got an album written though because you sent me the cuts. We do. So, uh, the EP will be uh, end of March. Oh, EP, yeah. Yeah, so there's five tracks um, uh, recorded, ready to go. So they were done at Alchemix Studios in West End, Last year, so we, we finished recording, oh, gosh, October, November, and um, mixing and mastering, we finished that in January. Um, so, yeah, that was that was cool. That was good fun, just getting in there. And it's, I mean, recording's fairly basic because we've done all the work at home and prepped it all because, you know, the, apart from the live guitar and any vocals, everything else is, you know, uh, on, on the on the pewter. So we could have everything, the arrangements and the sounds. And obviously, you know, for mastering and things, we tweak a bit a few of the sounds and, you know, add the studio effects that we may not have had access to at home. But, um, yeah, the, the the recording side was done pretty quick, just the smash the guitars out. You know, I'd do a couple of takes to see which one suits better or, you know, bits and pieces, and then we edit and cut out and add or whatever we got to do. And, yeah, yeah, so it was, it was a good process. It was good. Um Good studios. Andrew, the guy who I recorded and did all the engineering and stuff, he's a good boy too. So that was a uh, mm-hmm. that was handy. It was a good so experience. You're writing, you know? you're writing two and a half thousand kilometers apart, effectively, and I know that's no barrier these days with the, the Zoom and Skype and God knows whatever other applications there are. But hmm. here's the key thing, and I, and I mentioned this a lot too on the podcast. It's extremely difficult, even when you're in one room, to sound cohesive. Everything that I've heard from you guys sounds cohesive. And I'm going to give you a big rap here. I think Goose is my favorite early days, but it's easily my favorite song that I've heard this year so far. I've had that I've had that on repeat five, like I've listened to it five or six times. So you sent it through last night. Mm. I had it because you know why I had a share house in, in the nineties too. And that's the lyrics that Chris has got on that. I remember having conversations with people like that. It's mm. it's like it's like if you're from our, if you're our vintage 40s, 50s, or what have you, and you grew up in the 90s with all the music that we've mentioned in the background, that's autobiographical, that song, for just about anybody who's lived out of home. You know, yeah. had, didn't have failed launch. We got out and we just wanted to lead life and the like. But to round out the point, how did you write from the perspective that did you send riffs down to him and some ideas and say, mate, what, what, what are you feeling here? Like put something on top of this and then send it back. Get out of my house or goose as uh, became affectionately known. <laughs> thing wise is uh, that's just me and Mark. 
Uh, that's I, that's my vocals. Um, that's, that's your vocal. Yeah, that's me, man. Jesus Christ, that's incredible, <laughs> dude. I, did, I had no idea. Uh, I, I I I can sing. I prefer not to. Uh, I prefer doing sort of backups and the odd Dave Grohl screams and shit like that. But uh, when there's only two of us, then someone's got to do it. But no, that's that's us. Uh, dude, I've got to correct you. You can definitely sing. I'm mean, <laughs> as I say, we'll play or play with you. I know you can sing, and that's but dude, that's incredible. And and I'll tell you that because I, I thought that was uh, Chris. Wow, far out, cool, ah. Nice, you know. So I mean, that's <laughs> I, yeah. So so he's so he's only he's on become. That's it. That's it. And the rest of it, well, man, it's it, and you've made yeah. everything gel together so beautifully. Then that's why I mm. thought it was him singing on that. Yeah. Right. Oh, fair enough. Cool. Cool. Oh, nice. Thanks. Um, yeah. Get out of my house is actually a bit of an older song. Um, when I first moved up here, so about seven or eight. Oh, I've been up here ten years, but about seven or eight years ago. I was, again, just flicking through, you know, internet, music mags and that because I was getting a bit of an itch to meet guys and play and found an ad for some guys saying, oh, Chili Peppers sort of incubus band, looking for a guitar player. This was on like a Tuesday. P.S. We've got a gig on Friday. Hope you can learn songs. I've gone, oh, I always like the challenge. So I spoke to them. <laughs> um, they sent me the songs, you know, and I think, yeah, on like a Tuesday and then we gigged that originals and that Friday night we played and um moly, just yeah. good funky rocky sort of tunes and good boys really good guys um so you know eventually we started writing a few songs and that get out of my house um was one of those and so that was like a four piece but it was more played you know rock so it was kind of it was it was like a mixture of say chili peppers incubus and audio slaves so it kind of had mm. more the heavier riffy things but tried to keep it funky as well and and that sort of fit in there. But I always thought that song would kick with like a big beat on it. And so when I eventually, you know, hooked up with Mark and we were writing songs, I played him like a just a dodgy demo of Get Out of My House and said, oh, this is what I'm thinking. And um, like normal, I sort of left it with him and he comes back and goes, how about this? And as always, I'm just blown away and just go, well, fucking that's more than what I was thinking. So thank you again. You guys have a habit of... Uh, Shocking me and just impressing the hell out of me with, with things I leave with him, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, we ended up doing that. And so the the actual the, the way the song sits is exactly the same structure as what it was back in the day. So we're you know verse, chorus, and all the middle bits and that sort of stuff. We've all we did we've changed. The difference is the the melody and the words, except for the get out of my house part. All the verses are totally new and rewritten. They, um, they're the words and the melody I, I kind of thought of back in the day, but we had a singer back then and he just went a different way with them. Um, so when it came to do this one, I'm going, you know, I'm going to pull the the way I kind of envisioned the, the words to be. And uh, so, yeah, and it, and it turned out really well and catchy and like, like any of our songs, you know, our golden rule, we've culled some, you know, what I think are pretty good songs, but mm. it doesn't, if it doesn't make you dance, either fix it or can it. And that's just so that is our absolute that. rule, yeah. absolute rule. And, and no prisoners either. You know, you could have the coolest, coolest riff in the universe, but if the song doesn't make you dance, either fix it or you fuck it off. That's just our underlying principle for uh, Karoshi. And that one makes me dance my arse off. 
I'm going to check. Oh, likewise, man. I think I was cooking for the kids last night and I just had that song on and I went, I'm, I'm, that one's going on repeat. That's what happened. <laughs> That's exactly the situation I was listening to. And I turned the volume up, man. You know, I've got these AirPods in there, these, these things. And uh, it's never too loud with these things, man, but I turned it up, got the noise cancellation. And I'm in my own little world, man. And I'm, I'm basically listening to like a song that you've written from scratch. And it's, it's, and it, it's a, I've got to say, man, I think it is an accomplishment when you can do what you just said, okay, which is make people dance. I've made that point, as you can probably appreciate, so many times that music is about the swing. It's got to get the, it's, it's got to get the women's hips shaking. Even the best death and black metal bands do it. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they still do it, you know. Oh, and yeah, and right. and with um with the blokes, you've got to get the heel tapping. This sort of thing, you've got to feel it. If you can't feel it, I was I was watching a uh, YouTube clip last night of you know Carol Kay who did about a million sessions back in the day, the bassist. Yeah, yeah. And she made a metronome swing because that's the art, right there. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a beat boom 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 you got to figure out how to get that thing to make it so it's like a pendulum and yeah. once you can do that you're pretty much set because whatever riff you decide to put on over the top of that quality riff certainly but whatever quality riff you put over the top of that you've got something that's automatically going to connect with people and a lot of the time because people are drinking and they're sort of in the moment and they're listening to music because they want a bit of an escape they don't even understand how it's affecting them but it's affecting your soul it's soul music isn't it a hundred percent i i I, I fully believe that music is energy, you know, and, and it's got to make you, and, and that's what it's there for. And it, and it doesn't have to be prodigy energy where you're just going rah for, a, you know, a couple of hours at a concert or whatever. It, it's, it's various kinds, but it's just got to have that effect on you. Um, mm. I, I know that I'm quite different to the majority of people who listen to music just by talking to the general population. I listen to the music. Most people listen to the words. Um, I will only listen to the words if I like music and I find it hard to enjoy songs where, you know, you've got your basic, you know, every song is G, C, D or, you know, you just hear the same chords and the words might be interesting but I can't get engaged because it doesn't have that energy for, it doesn't have that swing to it to make me go, oh, what's that? Mm. Um, and, but that's just me personally what draws me in, you know, um, and I, you know, and the flip side of that is that I struggle to write good proper words, as evidenced by "Get Out of My House." You know, it's kind of a fun song about people overstaying their welcome. So, on your bike, son. You know, it's not really a heartfelt experience of a breakup or any any shit like that. You know, but I, th- I think the I think the lyrics and and the way you're singing matches absolutely the music, though, and that's also an art. Yeah, it's it's the it's the fun, it's the energy, it's the you, you can still be passionate about something if you're not dead serious. I don't. It might not be a song about saving the world, but I just want it to be fun. I just want to get people dancing. You know the way I dance. I mean, we we listen to it in um you know Mark's place when we're just sort of working out structures and things like that, and it just have like after the, the chorus, it just has that little breakdown where it goes to the percussion thing before it kicks back in again in a verse. And I'd be standing there, I'd be up on my feet and <laughs> moving around and thinking, oh, I love this song. I love this song so much um, because it just, I couldn't not move. And, you know, I think I mentioned that before about, you know, other, other music. And, and if you can come up with a track that makes anybody tap their feet, swing their hips, you know, move the shoulders and, 
you know, they can't, you know, they've got to put their hand over their drink because they're going to spill it from moving, then mm-hmm. that, that's that's the goal and you want that. And especially, you know, it's the kind of music that I kind of see, you know, you want people to dance and move to and shit. So you, you want to keep that going. You can't just say, oh, people to dance to my songs when you don't dance to them yourself. It's, it's just not going to work. Pretty simple. Um, so that harsh culling rule that we have about danceability 100% or gone is, uh, is, is where it is. And that's, you know, what we've tried to achieve uh, on, on the songs. Um, I think we've done pretty well. Um, not my style. Uh, the, the Calm and Fire are probably a bit more on the heavier industrial end of the tunes and mm-hmm. oh great fun oh, so much fun to play and uh you know come up with and things and fire uh fire the first one was great um again you know we came up with the song and we're going oh this is great it's got this real cool drive about it and i, I had nothing vocally or words wise at all and i thought it'd be cool if we had like a sort of goth vibe to it you know someone nice. from that background who just who hear the song and, you know, a, it's a bit more relatable to maybe that vibe because that's, you know, what, what they do, they hang out and the people, that's their lifestyle where, you mm-hmm. know, I walk around in a pair of shorts most days and you can, <laughs> people would see through it. People would <laughs> see through it in a heartbeat. So got online, looked at, you know, musicians' websites and we found um, this Russian Russian goth chick. G'day, rang her up. How you going? You know, you want to sing on a song? Send it to her and she's gone, Yes. That sounds nice. Um, so, yeah, Marina did that and she came in, did all the words. So, same deal with Chris. Played the music and just sat back, said, that's, that's, your, uh, that's your, your, your frame is done, you know, there's your, your blank canvas. Go nuts. And so all of a sudden she's pumped out these words and, you know, and we said, oh, say something in Russian as well. So she sang a bit in Russian and yep. – um, it just the whole and but that song we really liked because it's really not traditional. It doesn't have a verse. It doesn't have a chorus. It doesn't have a bridge. It just builds from the start to the end. Narrative structure. Yep. Gotcha. That's it. Yeah. And so we we it wasn't on purpose going. Oh, we want to write a song that doesn't have a chorus. It was just how it went and how it felt while we were doing it. Um, I also got to do my best. You know, Morello impression for the break, which is always always fun. Um, uh, but no, that, that song turned out really well. And uh, with, with her singing over the top of it as well, you know, that brought something that it, there's no chance that we could have done, you know, a couple of, you know, white boys. There's no way that we could have, you know, brought that yeah. uh, passion or fire or that just that feeling to, you know, what even though the music was kind of feeling that way, just to have the those lyrics and vocals um, done that in in such a fashion was just outstanding. And um, mm. yeah, no, she's done a great job. So you know, I look forward to you know when we get to play up here, getting her up and sit, to sing that song. You know, I still see her a lot. You know, I saw her Friday night at that um funky in the town that I went to. She was there, so mm. that was good. Um, so still in contact with her. Uh, um, but that, no, that was that was a good one and good to get the uh, get get one done and sorted and out and. Uh, that one was uh, just released as a single and, and we kind of, that's why we kept uh, Become separate as well. Being okay. the collaborative tunes, we kind of just had them as their own release. Yep. So the EP, we thought we'll, we'll, we'll just put our songs that are uh, Mark and I just crush uh, and just do it, that, and do it that way. Um, but, you know, hoping to, you know, have those as 
launching boards or, you know, people will find those if they like one of the songs off the EP, you know, how it works, you know, it's link one, you go, oh, that's all right. What else they got? So that's the plan, but you know, <laughs> best laid plans and all. Yeah. Yeah. Best laid plans and all, because you do have an extremely strong release here. Um, you, you, you do. Now you've got a full life though, career, dad, how far do you think you can take this in terms of these songs could go on to lead a life of their own? If they, if this was the next big thing to come out of the States, I'd go, yeah, it is. That's mm. how polished it sounds. So nice. in terms of how far you, you think you can take this, and you already mentioned touring, is that mm. what you've got designs on doing? Mate, I, I, I've always had a no regrets rule. I, uh, the best example is when I, I, joined the Porkers. So I joined Porkers just before my 30th birthday. Uh, and I ended up moving back to my mum's house in Campbelltown, which is 50 kilometres southwest of Sydney. Um, so a rural, oh, it's a big town, but, you know, it's still a long way out of a major city uh, because because of the touring schedule and things like that, I couldn't have a normal job because I'd be up and down the coast and out and, you know, there wasn't any job that lets you come and go because as soon as you come and go and you please, everyone else goes, well, why does he get to do it? And so just doesn't work like that so at the time I was driving forklifts overnight shifts in freezers you know in milk factories and anything that I could get because I had to try and get casual work for when I wasn't on tour and then all of a sudden I was going on tour again I'd lose the job but I didn't care I was going no 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 I, I want this experience and I remember thinking at the time I don't want to get to 50 and go like oh, I wish I'd done that I wish I'd had that experience of touring, of writing my own songs and stuff. So there was no way I was going to let any opportunity miss pass by. I mean, I'm a punter, first and foremost. I've been to so many gigs um, and I still do and I still am, you know, but, I've, you know, I've been lucky to be in the right place at the right time a couple of times. So, um, you know, Porkers is one. Now, you know, the synergy that uh, Mark and I have is just outstanding, you know, Um we just managed to, you know, I, I can give him the right riffs and he can weave the right magic to him to get these tunes out and make us both go, oh, yeah, yeah. that's pretty good. That's pretty definitely cool. good. You've got a good alchemy going on between you guys, man. You, you're it turning is. this stuff into pure gold. Yeah, it's great. It's, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're loving it and having a good time and that's that's so key as well, you know. So um, mm. if, if it comes that we get to tour a bit more, um, while I'm not, married anymore my ex-wife knows that music has always been my first passion and i mean when we were married you know we were due to go she's of our chinese descent so we would had a trip booked to china um oh 2000 end of 2016 early 2017 a couple of weeks go see the you know go see the fam take um, my daughter over again to see the cousins and things and then porker's got a call saying hey you want to come over and do some shows in the states I've already got um, – and at the time there was a different guitar player playing with Porkers, and the drummer at the time had stuff going on and he pulled out and so the guitar player went, oh, if he's not going, I'm not going, and they almost couldn't go. And so they rang me up and said, do we want to go? Do you want to go? And I thought, touring America with the fucking Porkers. This is, you know, growing up in a little, you know, in Campbelltown, just some fat kid with posters on the wall, you go on touring America is like one of your fucking bucket list lifelong goals. Yeah. And my wife just said, this is, she said, you, you got to do this. This is awesome. And so, you know, we 
worked out a way to, to manage it. So I went to the States while they went to China and, you know, we played with the Bostones in Boston. Um, it was sold out, you know, House of Blues and that was so cool. And then we did a run of shows with Voodoo Glow Skulls and uh, Buck and I. Stunning. Used to love that um, band, man. Man, still, they were, they were on fire. We did 11 shows in 11 days. Just uh, that was West Coast. Um, so, yeah, we started in San Diego and just went, yeah, San Diego, what was it? LA, Vegas, Reno, Boise, Idaho, 11-hour drive to Seattle for the next show through the snowstorms and shit. That was a rough one. Then Portland yes. and oh, Eureka, top of California. Then yep. uh, sand something and then down to another sand something and then ended up in another sand something in Berkeley. Um, <laughs> but that was that was a great trip. That was awesome, you know. Um, but, and, again, it was I've, I'm going to make this work and even, you know, in, in these days, if, if – we get to play and we get to do all these songs, you know, this is, this is why you kind of do it. And you can't just, you can't go into it half-assed. I mean, I have no expectations from these things. You just do it one, cause you've got the music in you, you want to get it out and you love it. Um, mm. But you kind of also know that if you've got good songs or not, and these are, these are good songs and a lot, and you know, great they're, great. I, they're the kind of songs that I'd listen to if it wasn't me. Um, and I suppose I'm giving myself a bit of a wrap there, so I don't mean to see how you know, facetious or anything, but that was part of what we were going for as well. You know, what do we, what sort of music do we love? And you can't play and do things that you love. Again, you, you're doing the wrong thing. So, um, no, if, 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 you know, whatever it takes us, then um, I'm in. And, and Mark's the same, you know, he's, uh, he's keen. We'd love to do it. And you don't, you don't want to just not know. I, not knowing and not do, turning something down and then regretting it later, I think is one of the life's curses and you, you should avoid that at all costs, regardless Man, that, of what it that's, is. That's so serendipitous you say that because I was just talking to the wife before because I've got these opportunities to uh, write biographies at the moment. That's what I've transitioned into because I finished uni. And yeah, instead of, of going into news media, I've decided to become an author as best okay. as I possibly can, at least. Anyway. Yeah, right. So I'm absolutely determined to write as many biographies of musicians before I die as I can. That's nice. what I wanted. That's exactly like, like what you're saying with uh, Karoshi and with music. And, and I feel the same way with my writing. And so I just thought, oh, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not developing a mindset. It's not a growth mindset. It's always going to be a take hold of the opportunity, a growth mindset. There's always going to be opportunities there make the most of the opportunity that's the most obvious one that's in front of him. Now, I think you're doing the same thing. So you've hit on, and that's why I thought it was so serendipitous with what you're talking about with you don't want to have any regrets. And you've got this wonderful music in here. And I often say this on the podcast too, because obviously none of the Americans and probably a lot of the Brits and people who listen to the podcast have got any idea who Wayne Bennett is. But you and I know who he is so well. But what's, what's what's his first book? Don't die with the music in you. You know, you have to be you. Don't don't leave anything in the grandstand. Leave it out on the field. You know, put yeah. it all in out on the field, so to speak, in rugby league parlance. And and I think you and I are just trying to lead our best lives that way. It's hundred percent true. Um, and on board, and it doesn't matter. You could be a professional football player, or you know, a hack guitar player. Or, you know, just pumping mm. the tunes that are in his head out best he can. It doesn't matter what it is. It's it, it, you can't. It's different, you know. There's a lot of people who want to be other people. These fucking pretenders and mm. people who th- 
think they're influ, influ what's that I call them? Influencers and all these fuckwits. Um influencers, but I call them these, yeah, influencers. They, you know, um, <laughs> they they they're trying not to be them. They're trying to get them to get themselves to this other level of celebrity or some shit like that. It's like but, but that's you they think that they're gonna regret if they don't become famous, but that doesn't work like that. You you've got to regret doing the thing that drives you and things, you know, and getting 15 minutes of fame, that doesn't drive you. We've had music in us fucking 30, 40 years, you know, that's that that's your thing that you can't shake. No matter what you do, you become parents, you change jobs, you move houses, you move into state, you do whatever. You always got that fire of something in you, you know, whether, you know, you're a, I've met people who were vets and then they ended up, you know, being nurses because they just wanted to help people instead of animals. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was what they always wanted to do and they've gone and do it. No different to what, you know, you just said about your book. No, fuck this. This is, I'm going to do this and bang. And then you do it. And the weight loss thing was the same. Just got to a point where this fuck, just going to do it, bang, and do it. Just don't think. And as soon as you start thinking about, oh, but, oh, what about, oh, what about, then you, you, you're hurting yourself. Just, you know, if you get that moment of clarity, that little moment where it's like, that's bang, it. Yeah. That's, it. That's, that's your story. It's like when you're doing footy tipping. It's usually your first tip. You never change a tip. <laughs> never change your tips. I agree absolutely <laughs> with that. Uh, although I don't, I don't, I, I had a, just had a situation uh, where it's not a bad thing, but my wife bought a, a lottery ticket and she gave it to me to scratch. And I said, don't give it to me. I come last in all these footy tipping poles and scratch, a th- you know, scratches and all that. I never win anything. Of course, she gives it to my daughters, one 150 and the other one 25 on the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, but if I'd scratched it, of course, it would have been, I probably would have had to pay them money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, funny how it works, isn't it? It's just, uh, yeah. we're, we're just the energy of things, you know. But, uh, but yeah, look, I, 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 it'll happen for you, man. A, because I've got some insight into your personality, but the strength of the songs, man, I mean, they're undeniable. And that's actually where it's at. Oftentimes, when, people are putting together a project like what you're doing it takes a long time to find a groove it sounds like you guys have found it straight away and it's because this is the music that's within that's within you so i i I truly hope brother that that for you that as soon as this covid bullshit is over that you can get up there on stages and and you can bring the music to the people and you can play the triffid or the zoo or in brisbane here or wherever Mm. it might be because man that's i'll be up the front with a beer i can tell you that (laughs) <laughs> I'd, I'd probably want to be there with you, but it's kind of hard to do both, uh, obviously. Um, you're right. I mean, we, we did have a couple of uh, demos early of other tunes that we did, like, from the very start, um, mm. and they were kind of cool, but they didn't make us dance as much as the ones that are going to be on the release. So which one? that's the rule. That's the rule. So they just got parked, you know, and will I get revisited, revisited one day? Unlikely, um, only because if it doesn't make you dance then, how is it going to make you dance now, you know, down the track? So, and you have to be able to do that. And the good, I think the good artists do that. I mean, you might recall a, um, an EP, um, Metallica released Beyond Magnetic. So there was like four tracks on it. I remember that it, didn't yeah. make the Death Magnetic album. And they shouldn't have because they weren't at the same level as the tracks that were on there. And it was good to hear them because you, you like you know, hearing, hearing songs that are, I like people who are able to say, this is not our best work, but it's us, just so you know. And, you know, it's saying 
you're used to hearing us being on top all the time. This isn't what we're always like. My daughter watches on YouTube a lot. It's a thing called Dude Perfect. All these trick shots and stuff like that. Right. A lot of fun. These guys do these trick shots and they're fucking crazy, some of this shit. But they always say, that took us about 38 times to get it. They, they just straight up fess up going, I know that was cool, but it took us a lot of goes. And you just go, respect. You know, it's not, you're not bullshitting everyone going, yeah, we throw things over buildings and get it first time because we're the best. It's like, no, no, we practiced. We tried and tried and tried and we didn't give up till we fucking got it. And then when they did, it looks fantastic. But, and I think it's even worth more that, you know, that you don't give up. You get an idea in your head, you go, I'm going to fucking do this and you keep doing it, you keep doing it. And, um, and that's how it works, I guess, in, in our case as well. You know, we've got the idea in our head. We, we want to do this and we're going, no, fuck, we, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. We're going to make sure the songs are strong and the, the best that we can we can do and we can be, you know, um, you know, limited by whatever the limitations are at the time, um, you know, first release, self-funded, all that sort of stuff. Um, but certainly no excuses because we've made sure the production sounds you know, fat, and uh, it got played on Dark Essence, which is a uh, industrial show on Triple Z yeah. last night. Um, g'day, Josh. How you going? Thank you. Um, and you know, it was before the one of the new Dark Cell tracks, and it was after another track from Europe or something like that. And it production wise sounded great, didn't it? Just sounded aligned, you know. And and that was kind of you know, it was nice. It's always nice to hear songs on the radio, especially when you. You know, not powder finger and shit. Where you're not, you know, no necessarily problem. used yeah. to it all the time. Um, but knowing that it is, you know, same. You know, it, it sits amongst the same level as everyone else that's in the same media. Then you you, you can feel confident that you know you have done your best and it, it you're giving yourself every opportunity. I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. Yeah, this show actually used to be on Four Triple Z. I was a broadcaster there a few years back. Oh yeah. Yeah, when I was doing this, it was on digital. It wasn't on the uh, terrestrial station, but uh, sure. I can't even remember the nights I was on now. Tuesday, one of the T's, Tuesday or Thursday night, uh, I can't recall. But yeah, I remember Dark Essence and there's a Metal Maiden show, I think. Uh, or is that Dark Essence? I can't remember either. No, one no, it's different. There's Metal Maiden. There's another metal show too, which is fairly new. Um, Crunch, Crunch Factor. I think that's just starting up pretty soon. And I think they, they've, they've got the song and they're going to give it a whirl as well uh, in, the, in the next couple cool. of weeks, which is cool. Um, I sent not my style, even though it's a little bit early to another couple of guys at the station. So, you know, they've, you know, it's been positive feedback from them and they'll give that a spin closer to the release date as well. So that's nice, you know, giving it to a few. And it's funny, you know, it's the guys I've sent it to have been like new music, punk, uh, industrial and metal, but they've also, they're going to play it. And that's because we kind of are a bit industrial, but a bit metal and a bit rock and a bit, this and I've said it to the dance show as well. That's my goal. If I can get played on the dance show, I'll be fucking ecstatic. But, you know, yes. the EDM, the, the 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 dance show because I mean it's all going to be techno and things like that. And I mean, but if you listen to the what's going on behind, you know, not my style and get out of my house, they're just big stadium dance tunes, man. You just yeah. hear those beats. That's that was you know. That's kind of what we wanted to, to, to transcend. I mean, I'm the most anti-label person that I've ever met. I can't stand labels. I think if you label something, you reduce it, you know. Heard a song the other day and I fucking loved it. Oh, what kind of music is it? Doesn't matter. It was a great song. What kind of music was it? Oh, it was rock. I don't like rock. So all of a sudden this person might hear this song 
and it could change their life. But because it got labelled as rock, and they in their mind don't like rock, or they're not even, not even going to listen to it. Fuck, don't do that. And you see people argue on the fucking social medias. Oh, it's trance. No, it's dark house. No, it's this. It's like, oh, do you like the song? Yes. Then who gives a shit? Don't call it anything. Just call it a good yep. song. It's called a good song. And that's why, you know, it's easy to justify, you know, uh, it was only the other day, I think it was Monday, I was on the train and, you know, I had headphones on and, you know, I was listening, just my random, just pick one, anything that comes up and I love it. And, you know, I'd slip that on the train, so, you know, I'm just politely tapping my head and, you know, train head banging, which is obviously, you know, a tenth of what you'd expect at a gig. And then the next song that came on was Jive Talking by the Bee Gees and I had this big smile on my face going, I love that I can listen to Slipknot and then the Bee Gees. And it just made me feel warm inside. And I had this big, stupid, cheesy grin on my face, which probably made me look a bit weird <laughs> on the train. But it gives a shit. It's just good good music, man. makes you move and it's got the energy and it's just happy and makes you smile. And that's what it's all about. It's just got to be about that. You get that vibe. You get that energy from it. Labels. Yeah, sorry, I get all shitty <laughs> and, and rant. So sorry about the rant. No, it's it's all good. I just I just laughing at the parallels. You know, I I just love your your guitar playing, and obviously we get along. But I used to do something similar. I don't. I, I, most of the music I listened to was in preparation for an interview or what have you these days. But I used to have a playlist back in the day, and frequently what would come on one after the other was Chic. You know, Bernard Edwards and Nile Rogers, the great masters, and then Obituary. <laughs> who I also love who are, who are a bit yeah. different to Slipknot but just death, straight up Floridian death metal yeah, and then yeah. Chic and and I and this was uh, the mid 2000s or thereabouts on an iPod that I had you know they made those little little things yeah. that couldn't phone make call. or use use the internet uh, make phone calls or use the internet but uh, that that probably tells a little bit about our background too when we grew up when you had to search for music it wasn't given to you like it is now on youtube we had to listen to, we had to listen to triple j and record it as i often did on the 3 hours of power yeah. and st- or, or or in sydney do you remember this 2ser wayne dz's alternative music show 2ser that one absolutely. yeah mate absolutely man i remember being in my the boarding house i was in friday nights cuz we used to have to play sports on the saturdays but man i heard dead kennedys all sorts of uh, the Saints, yeah, nice. Dex Pistols, like, and ba- too many bands that I can't even remember. You now the I Walk mm. with the Zombie Band, whoever that is, all of these, this stuff would come on, and now, and I can hear pop groups and like covering that shit now. Thir- it's almost thirty years ago, which makes me feel a bit yeah. old. Twenty six, yeah, twenty six years ago, I was at school. It's crazy. It's been that long, but it feels like yesterday, doesn't it? But uh, just just underlining that point there that that. Music is a feel thing. It's a vibe thing. You got you connect with it. Fuck labels. If you like it, that's the thing that's most important. Forget about it's it's got to connect with you on an emotional level, no matter how mm. deep or shallow that might be. And dance music does do that too. The other thing that I had on the other night was um Dead Eyes Opened. Right. Remember that one from yeah, Severed Heads? Right. Yeah, and it sounds a bit. Pre- I've got to say, it, sound- it hasn't aged well. I've got to say, okay. it literally sounds like a, a, a six, what is it, twenty-eight bit beat, or what have you. Just this, you like computer music, with someone just laying over a narrative. You know that that Mahat thing that they are talking about with the severed head and the dead eyes opened. Yeah. Um, it, it, but I still connected with it because I remember I used to connect with it back in the day. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the point. Music is an emotional thing, and if you bond with it, then run with it, and you never know where it's going to take you. And like you, it's taken you yeah. to this wonderful point where you've got this this great this great outfit. Yeah, oh, absolutely right. And um, uh, I was I was lucky enough to see uh, Prodigy like uh, in Brisbane a couple of years ago, which was like Keith's one of his last shows. Turned out to mm. be, but I still remember that night so clearly because I was a big boy back then, but I was down in the mosh pit for the for the lot, and all I remember afterwards was just this exhilaration and just looking at my clock, looking watching on. I don't recall where that two hours has gone, and that, to me, is a perfect gig. You you lose yourself. You take you you're taken away. You're not thinking about shitty work or any other problems. You just you just in the in the moment, you know, which is exactly what a gig is for. Just go and be in, in enveloped by the energy from the stage. And being a muser, you know, you feed off the energy coming back to you, and it's really quite cyclical you know that you give off and they give back and it just keeps going but it was just this night where i just remember you know i don't i all i know for that last two hours was i was just so happy and i had such a good time such a good time i was sweaty as fuck geez it was a hot night in brisbane i'll tell you that humid was high um Mm. but geez that was it was good and and that's that's your goal to to just lose yourself i mean I, i you know you can get cranky old man and shake your fist at everyone holding their phones because they're just, you know, you you're not, you know what you can get from a gig and it is that exhilaration feeling and they're not going to get it. You can't. Mm. But you go, they paid the same amount of money as me. If that's what they want to do with their money, then that's cool, man. That's, I'm, I'm it's not going to, I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm just going to go and do my thing and have a good time. Um, it is a bit weird and, I mean, ironically, there's footage of me playing at Soundwave because somebody was standing there with a phone, and that's great mm-hmm. for posterity. You know, I could, I've shown my child. You know, we've been that's watching killer. shit on watching on YouTube, and then we flick over and say, "Have a look at this. This is Daddy," and she's just there going, she's oh, oh, freaking out." You know, now, now she's a bit older and can understand what's going on, and so you know, I've shown her different clips, me playing in Boston, me playing in New York, you know, the festivals and all that sort of shit, and you know. And I wouldn't have that if there wasn't someone standing there with a phone. Yeah. And so even though they're getting a different experience from the night, it's benefited me directly. Thanks, phone people. But um, you know, it's you, you can't tell people what to do. I know there were some artists who banned phone from banned phones from their gigs, and I get it because it used to be at the end of the song, everyone would just be like, Fuck! and now it's you hear a couple of coughs and splatters because everyone's just standing there with their phone waiting for the next thing. Come on, play another song. Entertain me. And um, and what I said before about you know the energy coming from the crowd being fed and let you you know fire up a bit more. If the crowd's not giving you any love back because they're standing with their phone. Mm. It can kind of kill the vibe too for the artist. And I don't know that anyone realizes that yet. Um, I think it's going to take something a bit more drastic, a few more big big guns saying, "Nah, fucking put your phones away" or whatever it is. And um. It doesn't make sense to me either, man. Because your memories are the most important thing. If you you can lose your memories, if all your memories are of standing there making sure you're holding your phone up, and then your memory becomes of watching the performance on your phone instead of actually being there in the moment. And I've got to say, I applaud artists 
they can't be crabby old men about it like the Eagles were, though, where they're almost give, giving constant reminders to. I mean, the average age of the people in an Eagles gig was is about sixty five. For God's sakes, nobody needs reminding more than once. Just tell us once, put put the things away. But at some of these younger, at some of these gigs with bands that you and I are into, all of the bands that we've mentioned across, yeah, I, I can't understand. I mean, being in the moment, for God's sakes, I, I like I'll never forget when. Do you remember? Living Colour toured in 2017 and 2018. Mm. The 2017 gig, do you remember when Vernon's guitar, Corey unplugged, accidentally stepped on the cable and it was unplugged and it must have done something to the guitar jack, the jack in the guitar. I cable jack, that. I should say. How did I anyway, miss that? So I remember that. How, I spoke to Doug about this. Doug oh, Rickish. Okay. Yeah, and, and I said, holy shit. Because you you got to keep going. You can't stop. And that took about three to four minutes to rectify whatever was going on there. So, of course, that just left the trio to do what they what, what they would do best, which is just fucking groove. Yeah. This uh, almighty groove from Doug Wimbish, who's probably, gosh, I'll probably say, probably the greatest rock bass player of all time, in my opinion. I've heard and, you talk about his rig and his sound many, many times. <laughs> many times. Oh, yeah, I, I've caught you, you. You could okay. I have modeled certainly. I started as a when I was playing a lot live back in 2008 and nine and stuff, mm. modeled my sound on his. There's no doubt. I used to listen to his albums, so yeah. so Stain in particular, not Stain. Um, oh god, I got a mental block. What's the one with the woman on the front with the cage on her head? Is yeah, that Stain. It is Stain. God, what am I doing? Yeah. Stain. Anyway, that is the album that because that was the in market album when I got into them 92 or 93, whatever it was. Yeah. And listening to him, you could hear everything that he did. And I thought, that's what I want to do. Be the basis where you can hear everything. Mm-hmm. So I didn't achieve his tone because you think he, I think he uses Spectre back then, but he certainly uses Warwick now. And I think he uses EBS or Trace Elliott these days. And I don't use any of that equipment. So, yeah. but it's, it's the, it's, it's the fingers, it's the hammer ons and all of this sort of stuff to make sure that you can, you can be prominent and to hear him isolated like that. Imagine if I had my phone up at that moment trying to capture it as opposed to just absorbing the beautiful energy mm. that's coming from, from him and from yeah. Will and Corey's crooning along as well. And, and I guess that's the musician's perspective, but other people out there, they're, they're trying to... It's like these people who try to capture fireworks at their phones. <laughs> you're, you're at the river, you know, the river fire yeah, yeah, here or what have you. Yeah. you. You see them doing it. It's like, what are you going to do? Look at it later on? <laughs> you're not. You, you know they're not. No, none of them do. I think it's all. Isn't it all to get likes and shit? I think. Look, it has doing? to be. I think so. It's. It's. I. I don't know why. I mean, the point is, you've got unless they know how to use software like Premiere Pro or whatever. Mm. I don't see any or whatever the native Apple thing was on the on the iPhone, which I don't use because I use the Adobe Suite. Like, but what are you going to do? Post it for like four views on YouTube, yeah. which is what most content on YouTube gets: three or four views or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's funny you mentioned uh, Premiere Pro. We've uh, we we taught ourselves how to use that for Karoshi for our and and uh, tried to make some film clips. So I've mm-hmm. concocted one for not my style, which will be the like single for the EP. And um, good on you, Mark yeah. put one together for Become, and we put it on YouTube, and it was banned within a day. What hate speech apparently. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. Well, people who people exactly. are listening to this. Sh- Lately, we've gone down the rabbit hole with this sort of stuff because yeah. it's becoming totalitarian. But 
I can't imagine knowing you, knowing the music you're into and having some insight into your lyrics, I, I can't even begin to imagine what you'd be doing that would be classified as hate speech. It, it's not. It's the, the main song, the line in the song is, you know, if, if, you, if you're not anti-fascist, what are you? You know, it's, real, it's a challenging song. It's like, you know, look at yourself. You, you, if you're not the type of person who says no to that, just shit, then fucking what are you, mate? You know, have a look at yourself. And, I mean, the, it was a fairly confronting clip. There was lots, you know, there's pictures of, your Trumps and your Hitlers and your riots and stuff like that. And really okay. uh, the, the result, you know, and this is the result of that way of thinking and that kind mm. of uh, lifestyle that, you know, is still prevalent, which is ridiculous in itself. But, yeah, they've seen clips, I think, of, you know, possibly a Hitler image or something and they've gone, oh, it must be bad, must be promoting the Fourth Reich or who knows how they think. It's probably a it must be a that. It's yeah, a bot, of course, it's you know? a bot. Yeah, it's an algorithm. And yeah, so you can't series. then go back to them and say, dude, why'd you take my thing down? Because, well, there's no one going to answer you and they don't give yeah. a shit. So um, we've got the clip on Venmo and it's on our website and, you know, that sort of shit. So um, that, that's, you know, it's out there. But, you know, you, you <laughs> although we, today I think he said that um, we've got 12 subscribers to our YouTube channel. We haven't got any videos on. So that's nice. <laughs> we haven't put the uh, the the not my style one up yet, but um, mm. is that we'll do that a bit closer to release and tomorrow. Um, look, I've got a, I've got a theory. You know, look, I've got a theory, mate. Moving forward, that we we cannot use in in terms of if we if we as artists, musicians, creators, broadly speaking, authors, mm. that sort of thing. If if we want to have total ownership and control of what we do, we need to create our own channels, whether that be websites where you capture people's information. It, it begs the question about how you capture the interest of a broader audience. But I, I know with with what I'm going to be doing with my books, uh, as little as possible, will I be using social media? It'll just be maybe one announcement. Go to this web page here. Have a look here. That way, it's all here. There'll be a constant feed of stuff here. It's not going to be clickbaity bullshit, but yeah. just use social media to raise awareness, but not actually have the content on there. Because I think, I think, the cartelling that is going on with Facebook, which is Instagram, so it's the same thing. Google and YouTube are the same thing because they're the same company. Yeah, Alphabet, whatever it's called. And then Twitter, there's only three companies in the world these days that control something in the vicinity of 99% of all content. Yeah. It's right. nuts. And and so we're at the beck and call. And to your exact point then, it's an algorithm that determines what people do and don't see, no matter what the message is and no matter how profound it is. And that's, yeah. that's there is, there is, I am 100% that even for free speech, even from the perspective that if someone is saying something vulgar, and I'm not talking about these fuckhead pedophiles or anything like that, they can burn as far as I'm concerned. 100%. But I'm talking about different political opinions and the like. You have to, you have to, people have got to have an opportunity to put things on the table, whether somebody else thinks they're right or wrong. Because at the moment, people are retreating into what I call their virtual caves. This, this, you know, this issue now where, where people so-called on the right are going into Parler and these other niche. Have you heard of these social media platforms like Parler? So basically, a lot, a lot of people with so-called conservative views. Sometimes they're just not conservative views; they're just views. Hmm. They're being exactly like what you you, you experienced, and they they get the shits and they go bugger this, and so they're not on mainstream platforms anymore. See, this is how these these people develop these QAnon conspiracy 
beliefs. Have you heard of that yeah. shit? Yeah, no, yeah. It's it's weird shit. Yeah. yeah, and you think like what what I I've spoken to people about it who I I still believe are loaded with common sense, but still believe it. And I I guess I just put it down to one of those things. Like some people believe they've had an alien visit them, whatever. Okay. Some people believe they've seen a ghost. Okay, whatever. If you have, you have. If you're making it up, well, you know you're making it up. That sort of thing. But with with what I'll bring it full circle, and I'm sorry, back to what you're to, what you're doing there. Yeah, it's to put out something that, like what you've described, and to have that was was it actually flagged as but as hate speech? Is that the message you got back? Is that you actually said? I can't remember the wording, but the word hate speech was on there. Yeah, yeah. So I said hate speech. Blah blah, hate speech. And did you like? You, you and you can't argue. But you can't have an algorithm to determine these things. That's the problem. So if you're using a service where an algorithm, so it's AI, determines mm-hmm. these things, we, we truly crossed over to the dark side of the rainbow. Oh, we, very you, much so. You, you can't, you can't, they're not sentient. AI will never be sentient. It mm-hmm. cannot distinct, you know, the big thing about AI is it cannot distinction, it can't make a distinction between intention or otherwise. Yeah. So it, it can't do it. All it looks is, is the end result and go, oh, bang, that's, that's um, wrong speak or, or hate speech. I remember what I mean. I love watching uh, the Jim Jeffries specials on Netflix. It's mm. hilarious. And I remember him uh, on one of them, and he said that you know uh, there was a, an interview done. He, he'd done some shows in Australia, and somebody you know wrote up his shows and quoted word for word his jokes. And he said, he's, you know, he goes on to say that um, his party trick is that he can say horrible things but still seem likable because. It's the phrasing, it's the tone, it's the better, it's the gestures that come along with the joke. But because these, you know, can be quite horrible and, you know, on occasion real boundary, you know, pushing it, pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. like being demeaning or misogynist or whatever jokes, if they're just written down and you read them out of context without all the gestures and the fun parts to it, it's bad. It's fucking real bad. And so he's, you know, all of a sudden, there's journalists written down all these jokes, and Jim Jeffrey believed this, and he said this, and this, and this. They were jokes, but you weren't there to see the whole package of the delivery and the things. And and it's just like what you're saying. How does a bot know? You know, if I said to you, mate, you know what that means. If I said, mate, you know what that means. But a bot just sees the word. You know, he doesn't see the tone. He doesn't see the what the expression. What what it's the you know, the context or anything like that. So if he's seen a photo of Hitler in our video, they've gone, oh, Hitler bad, video bad, gone. It's got no context. It just sees Hitler. It's yeah. got zero context about the message you're trying to put out, which which is an anti-Hitler message. It's an anti-fascist message. Anti-everything, you know, and, yeah, and that's it. We, we requested, we said, can, can we just get a person to watch it and then they'll see that it's obviously it shouldn't have been thingy because of what it is. But again, no response. Deaf ears. I don't care. It's fucking, you know, which one person in a billion billion person quantity? But I, I find that um, something you said earlier is that you know they own ninety nine percent of all these things, and because of the convenience of your Googles and those things, everyone's so reliant on those that you know Google is now a verb. You know, it was a noun, but now it's a verb because that's just how things yeah. work. And I used to work for car sales a while ago. And car sales is where you go in Australia, possibly in other places around the world, I'm not sure. But if you're looking for a car to buy, and you or you, you go to car sales. That's it. There are competitors. They're pointless because car sales are in, is in the vernacular. They've got all that's the just, eyes, yeah. 
It's just where it goes. Now, Holden at one point didn't like paying car sales fuckloads of money to get their sales through. And they went, you know what? Fuck you. We're not doing it. We're going to pump our money instead into our own advertising, put our own ads on the TV, put our own ways. We're not going to use you. In principle, sounds great. Good on you. You know, you're pushing back against the big capitalist company that owns and decides who does what when. Mm. What happened, though, was that their car yards and their salesmen went from, say, seven salesmen to two because all their sales dropped because the holder were no longer on car sales anymore, so they weren't getting looked at anymore, and it hurt them fucking real bad, real bad. You know, they just lost, and eventually they had to go, oh, maybe if we put one or two models of cars on there, like specials, and got them back on and, there's been other brands of cars have done the same thing over years. Got no, fuck you, I'm not doing it anymore. And eventually had to come back tail between their legs because it's that controlled now that you don't have a choice. If you don't use car sales, you don't sell cars. And you know, bike sales is the same. And you know, there's lots of other websites out there. And you know, we saw what happened with the news and shit recently in Australia when you know Facebook just said no, nah, fuck you guys, your rules are shit, and taking them off, and bang, everything collapsed and essential information to the health for health and education and all that got lost as well because a flick a switch got flicked because someone didn't like it you go how can you impact millions of lives just because someone doesn't like it where's your your consideration of both sides of the coin you don't have to like something you know this is one of my most used saying sayings to my child you don't have to like it but you're still going to do it now i'm talking about homework and practicing a piano and shit like that. But it's the same message. You don't have to like what someone says, but you have to understand that, you know, everything you say isn't right. And, you know, you can't get offended, which is the buzzword, because someone's got a different opinion. Because then it just arcs up and it comes to these levels where things just get turned off, knee-jerk reaction, and you can't have a, a video clip that, you know, might challenge some people and make people think and be abrupt and in your face and say, this is what happens if you are like mm. this. It's big picture. You, you know, you might not think you are, but if you're not anti-fascist, what are you, mate? You know, what are you? You, you need to think about this and be able to look yourself in the mirror. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nasty, slippery slope, but because of the reliance and the convenience, you know, we're, we, we all live in a world of convenience yeah. now. It's what it's all about. Um, and... It's hard to change that. If someone's got a good, then why would you make something harder for yourself? It's very hard, but you don't, you know, the general population probably don't understand the underlying lack of principles and the underlying no, message. You know, it's like when you, you you look at something on your phone and then you go to work and then you might just have a little bit of downtime and you go to Fox Sports just to check the local scores and there's an advertising on your work computer of something that you looked up on your phone four hours ago. You, you fucking... Because of all their algorithms, they know who's looking at what, where, and where they, you know, how it all works. That they're there, and you know, it's, you know, the whole Big Brother thing and shit. It's just crazy because convenience is that's the price you pay for the convenience, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, lot loss of self, loss of privacy at the very least. You know, it's it's like uh, I mentioned Dead Kennedys before, but uh, no, one of my being... favourites, mate. One of my favourite what... bands of all time. Same here, likewise. And, and as I play guitar too a little bit and mm. uh, Chicken Chicken Form Us is one of the first songs I'd ever learned because, you know, it's got that fairly East Bay Rays feel. Ding, 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 ding
yeah. as a beginner guitarist, you can play it. That and Venom's Black Metal. And mm. um, sorry, I'll just bring it back to to um, Dead Kennedys. But that song, give, the album, "Give Me Convenience" or "Give Me Death." I'm, I'm, I, he was talking about supermarkets and the corporatocracy back then, but it's just grown, hasn't it? To where people are. I was speaking to Paula Lender from Cradle of Filth about some of the things that he's experienced and he wrote most of that band's music when he was in the band and he was in so if he's he wrote, if he wrote like a he asked me not to share too much and i know a lot of people listen to the podcast i'm getting a bit of a rep for being a subject matter expert on cradle of filth so i'm sort of limited as to what i can say but but the yeah forget about the paula lender point because i know he's, he's a bit sore about things at the moment i think so i'll just leave it there anyway but yeah. look it's i'll bring it back to the facebook thing you know that those that it was an algorithm that removed all of that like queensland health that removed all of the government websites that's what it was it removed that that poor lady and her family whose fuckwit husband burnt her and her kids remember mm-hmm. the the memorial pages for her it removed. It had no nuance. It, it probably. I don't know whether it. It, it took care of that. It, it, it took down the Daniel Morecambe stuff either. But this is the point, and this underlines it that there is no nuance. So when Facebook came across, and they're using us as an example, a bit like what's happening with the Chinese government at the moment, because if we win against the Chinese government with what's happening, meaning our government with the the, the bureaucratic stash that's happening there at the moment, the same thing with Facebook. Other countries will fall like dominoes, meaning, I see, I think the Australian government's doing the right thing here. I've got to say, I actually back the government on this point. There's there's two schools of thought here. So Facebook doesn't want to pay mastheads for content, mm. okay? But the problem with a lot of mastheads is one of the key reasons I didn't go into news media deeper than what I had before because I did write for the bulletin, but yeah. I, I did it on t- two separate internships. But nothing wrong with the bulletin. It's just news media in general. My, my view overall is that news media has been compromised so badly lately. It's not actually news media anymore. And it's something that I'm quite passionate about. And the thinking behind that is if I don't think that Facebook paying the mastheads for content is actually going to fix journalism because it's all effectively not all but a lot of it is about clickbait at the moment it's not about bringing real news real stories it's about what gets the greatest hits and clicks and this this has been the issue constantly with bands too so i'll sort of pivot a little bit and i'll talk about bands too so i've thought long and hard as a musician and as an author creating and this buzz, god-awful buzzword which i hate using but communities <laughs> creating communities and that way you can sort of sell and, and pitch to communities and the like but how do you do that without social media and with the way people are now conditioned given it's been with us for it's 15 years we've probably longer we've had social media is it is it, it's about about 13 years or so 2000 and ever since the iphone came in is when social media truly truly mm. took off so so i i don't think even though I support the Australian government's position with Facebook and their view that they should pay content creators, i.e. the mastheads for the content that they're using to build an audience and therefore sell our privacy because we are the product with Facebook, I don't think it's going to change a goddamn thing moving forward, brother. And that's the issue. I think people aren't motivated enough because, and I'll bring it full circle again, give me convenience or give me death. It's Mm. all there. Yeah. And you're exactly right. And, there's so many messages from Dead Kennedy that were valid 40 years ago that still are now, you know. Mm. 
trying to think of which song it is, but one of my favourite Dead Kennedy's lines is, if the Doors or John Lennon were getting started now, the industry wouldn't sign them in a million years. And this is 40 years ago and still true now, man. I mean, you know, you have to be on The Voice or some shit to to, to crack it. you got to have that social media presence. you got to be discovered online. It's got nothing to do with your actual capabilities and content, you know, you're, you're pushing shit uphill. It doesn't matter how good you are sometimes, but um, it's just... Uh, and that's the thing. And I mean, we're all guilty of, of having those guilty pleasures where you do want things convenient, especially now, you know, when you're time poor as a parent, you know, you've got to work, you've got your kid, you've got other shit you want to do. You just want Correct. things to be easier for yourself. And, hmm. you know, you, you don't purposely, no, I'm doing it this way just because I want to do it. You just go, oh, fuck, I just got to do this. It's no different to, you know, making your kids, you know, you want them to read a book and they just give you grief and give you grief and you've got a headache and you go, oh, just fuck, watch TV for half an hour, don't give a shit, you know, just shut up for a while, give me a break. Um, it's just that way and I, I don't know what it's going to take to, to change. Um, it's, it's always going to be there, but if there's a way to tweak it so it's not as controlled and there's not other people making decisions for you 100% of the time, you know, if there was that freedom to get away from, but it's all based on, advertising and shit as well that's why the ads come up and why they they're everywhere so they know who you can advertise and i mean we we utilize that now i mean we, when we uh put our ads on for facebook for become you know we've mm-hmm. got hits from peru because we've you know put oh what's the music like oh, prodigy and you know pendulum and stuff and so their algorithm goes all right find some people with those interests and put the ad in front of them and anyone that clicks on them then we find people with similar interests to the people who've clicked on your ad and put the ad in front of them. And if mm. they click on it, and that's how it works. And that's why, you know, we've... But the problem the problem there, sorry to interrupt, is that there will be people that will love your music that don't have an interest in Pendulum and the Prodigy who will never see it because of the way the algorithm works, which is which I think is the problem. Yeah, no, I, I agree fully. You know, I guess being just a couple of blokes from Brisbane trying to get tunes out, you're happy to get it in front of everyone, but it's this comes back to that full circle about the labels we were talking before. You know, it asks you when you when you put a song onto Spotify, it says what kind of song, what kind of music is it. You can't write good. You have to say what the genre is, what the subgenre is. And now, when you've got a song like "Not My Style," which is electro rock, which is metal, which is rock, which is punk. You can't put all those on there because then it looks at it. Spotify are quite clear on this. You need to pick up like a thing and a sub. You can't put it over a couple because then they'll just fuck it off. You've got to pick which ones it is because then they can, they know where to put the songs in their playlist and things like that. Yeah. So we're looking at it going, well, fuck. Now we're, we're, we're writing just naturally. It's not a bird way to come out with, genre you know genre mashing tunes just because this is just the music that's coming out of us you know it's it can be played on a metal show it can be played on a dance show but now we have to give it a label so we can put it out there what do you call it and you go fuck out i don't know which yeah what, what you know what there's no right answer you just got to try and pick the one that's possibly going to like a majority rules i suppose yeah. for lack of a better term you know there's probably going to be more people in the metal crowd who res- respond better to the big beats and the big riffy guitars than people who are more traditional dance folk who just want the electric sounds. Even though we have all the electric sounds and the big beats, 
maybe the guitar scares them off a little bit, but maybe they'll like it because they've not heard anything like that before. But you're not going to know because of exactly what we're talking about. You, you can't get in front of everybody anymore because everything's got to be labelled and then the bots decide who hears your song. Mm. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. And, uh, mm. and and then you rely on word of mouth that people then, then share your music or do they? And the other thing too is people are so conditioned to listening to Spotify playlists these days, songs play in the background and people are barely perceiving what's actually happening. So they're not they're not taking the time. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many new releases I get a week, just with yeah, all the right. mailing lists that I'm on, and all just about all, not all, but I'm talking to the margin of an error, hundred percent. It's well produced. It's more or less well written. A lot of stuff there's some kind of a fatal flaw, like the guitar just hasn't got a tone that matches the singer's voice, which I listen to quite, a, which I, I try to tune in for. Like a lot of these metal bands, I get a lot of metal stuff, but this power metal thing is huge these days. And so look at singers are trying to sound like a cross between Bruce Dickinson and Rob, Rob Halford. And, okay. and the guitar sounds too thin. So you've already got a fairly thin vocal because it's that operatic style. You have to have meaty, ballsy guitars underneath that. As a counterpoint, there's a key word right there. As musicians, we understand these things, but yeah. I don't know why these other musos don't, but so much stuff from Europe that I get sent, I can I can have it on for about five minutes and then I go, guys, this if you, you needed a producer in the room or somebody or just a mate or somebody to go, no, no, don't do that. I've even, I've even approached some of my reviews that way. I said, love what you guys are doing overall, but here's what I can recommend. And it's not that... I've got any skin in their game whatsoever, but you just want to help people. You just, exactly to my point with, with with what we're talking about with the algorithms, because they're not going to help you for a goddamned. And oh. most reviews these days are PR. They don't actually talk and critically. I, I remember the British press were extraordinarily horrible at tearing down bands. I don't know whether they still do that. The NME and uh, those other magazines that we never got in Australia, or you'd see like weeks after. You know, it'd be, you'd see like a month afterwards and, of course, they'd be onto the next flavour of the month, Arctic Monkeys or whatever it was at the time that they yeah, picked yeah. up and said were the new Beatles. Remember that? Every I British, did. every every three months there was, a, or thereabouts, there was a new British band that they said was the new Beatles. Yeah. They did that with Oasis. And I was like, yeah, oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. No. <laughs> but um, I, I, you just try, this is the key point, evangelizing rock music and evangelizing guitars, bass, drums, rock and roll. That's, that's if I could give myself a label, that's, and, I, and I'm with you, man, I'm not about labels either, but I think that's, sorry, i make the point. I just try to evangelize this because nobody else is, man. The mainstream media doesn't give a shit. And, and with my podcast, that's why I have so many, such a variety of guests on from the extreme Scandinavian satanic bands like Watain, Eric Danielson that I've had on, to conversations like I'm conducting here with yourself, to dance music from Melbourne. And, yeah, right. and just try to, and it's that's why, you know, we're, we're from the same school. Just try to give people that perspective that it's okay to be into all of this stuff. It's okay to, to just, you know what, it's music. That's what it is. And because I've, I've purposefully given my show an artwork, which sort of is slightly extreme metal or thereabouts, because I know that's where a lot of my audience does come from. But I see that the same people are listening to, as I say, Eric Danielson from Watain, as they're listening to Lamalo, who's a, uh, a, an electronic artist from the northern beaches of Sydney. I can see that because I can see using Wooshka's data, the data that they give to me, where they're listening from. 
Okay, so I can see that's happening, and I think that's all you can be. You can only be the change that you want to see in the world. I think I'm doing it. You're definitely doing it with your, your music that you've got here, man. And I, I, I hope that that somehow it gets to the ears of someone influential, a David Geffen, maybe <laughs> like that. You never <laughs> no, know, though. You, you never, you never, you never ever know. There's that old story about Quentin Tarantino. I think because he used to holiday in Australia a lot and he heard a Japanese band of all things on a CD in a car or coming from someone's car, I think it was. Have yeah. you heard that story for, yeah, for yeah. Kill Bill? Remember that story mm. for Kill Bill? And yeah. it was the, what was the band? I can't remember. Shot a Knife, it might have been, or someone like yeah. that. And uh, and he goes, I have to have that music. What is it? And someone gave him the CD. I think, I think that's, I'm paraphrasing the story, but it was that. It was that thing about having your ears open just being open to what's out there. And of course, then in your case, mate, I, something, I hope Quinton's listening to someone in their vehicle or <laughs> overhearing what they're doing on their, their iPhone or something like that. And something cool happens for you. Uh, thank you, sir. It, um, you, you want it as that outlet, um, but you, it's more of a curiosity for me. I think, I'll, you know, you think this is a good song. I love it. You know, it'd be nice to, for other people to hear it and have a, have a bit of a dance um, but you know, there is that curiosity. I wonder what it's like to fucking have a record that just sells like buggery, you know, to just be heard from the radio all of a sudden to, to be a one hit wonder or, you know, to, to get that level. I mean, I've, I've, I've had that feeling playing with porkers of, you know, playing a song and watching people sing back a song that you've written, you know, mm-hmm. that's cool. I've got a copy of a recorded version of a kid from a high school in Newcastle who performed a song that I wrote with the Porkers for each for his HSC performance piece. Just mm. shit like that. Oh, really cool. That's awesome, oh, that, man. Yeah. That's really nice. That's that what a great that's feeling. That change really that I'm talking cool. about. Yeah. You know? Um, but you know, that next level will be all of a sudden people that you know you don't know that well or you've met a couple of times. That you catch up with, you know, at a pub night or something like that, going, "Hey, I heard your song on the road, and I fucking love it." And you go, "Well, how did you hear that?" Because it's starting to go somewhere. So th- there is that curiosity. Oh, you know, you'd be lying if you're saying otherwise. You wouldn't mind knowing what it's like to have a song that's popular. I mean, that's just part of the vernacular, you know. And it's it's never. I, I can swear on a. Well, I don't believe in Bible shit, but you know, something on that's dear to me that I have almost gone out of my way to write songs that aren't commercial. You know, I can't do three chord songs. I need to have a, a bar of nine, eight in the middle of it to keep my head sane, you know. Um, so to be able to come up with these tunes that are a little bit outside the norm and the formulaic shit that you hear the majority of the time to still have an appeal and to be able to get it to that level, and, um, yeah, I'd be curious I'm very curious and, but, you know, also being a realistic person, I'll still go to work every day and still take my kid to ballet on Saturday mornings and That's that yell abuse at the TV in. when my footy team's losing every week. And, <laughs> all the all normal stuff. Up soon. Yeah, all of that, all like, of that starts up soon, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, look, uh, I'll, I'll wrap things up. But before I do, of course, now I've got, to, I've got to ask you to tell everybody, where can they go and find you on social media? Um, we are Facebooked, um, so uh, Karoshi. Uh, the website is just karoshi.band. Uh, I think we're on the Instagrams and the things like that as well. Uh, 
the song is on Bandcamp, the song's on Apple, it's on Spotify, iTunes. I'm pretty sure it's pretty much everywhere, the two songs, Fire and Become, and then the uh, EP, which is uh, called Edition, uh, will be out March 31, and that'll be on across all those uh, listening and streaming type places as well. Uh, the We'll probably get that Not My Style, which will be the single for the EP, out a couple of weeks before, just as a you know precursor to the thing. And so that'll be on our YouTube page. And I think I think the other guys are keen to get something on our YouTube video channel soon because, as I said, there's subscribers, but there's nothing on there. So we want to give them something. Yeah. You know, it'd be the right thing to do since they've taken the time to click on it. God love them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, where good records are sold is the old saying, but uh, they used to say, not that there's records anymore. Good, right. good records, are, good EPs are streamed. Yeah, exactly nowadays. right. Exactly <laughs> right. So, like, yeah, everywhere, everywhere. Um, and hopefully, you know, we, we can uh, get out and do some shows as well. You know, we'd like to see how it translates. We're still working out if, you know, we want to put the live drums in. I mean, you, you go see Prodigy and they don't. You can go see bands like Confidence Man and they've got live drums and they just, they sound massive live. I've seen them a couple of times and they uh, they have this bass. They do. Their chest shake. They are fucking. I'm going to see them again, mate. You know, at the tip, typically, yeah. Just because their live sound is huge, you know, might be considered a bit popcorn or whatever, but fuck, they sound massive live, man. Massive. It's yeah, I agree. We've got the vinyl. My, my girls like them, and um, I, I, the only thing that I'd say about their live sound is I think occasionally they need a bass, like a proper bass in there, because mm. they've got some mad grooves, like that. Um, boyfriend repeat song that's a bass line that's a real bass line yeah, yeah and you could easily get a bassist to get up there and do that it's not a hard bass. i've, I've played the bass line it's a cinch uh, but yeah, yeah, if you have that blend of the two and it's just the same mm. thing over and over again it just makes it a little bit more visceral and mm. and i think that's the only thing i mean they wouldn't give a shit god they're selling or streaming tens yeah. of millions of streams yeah, so true. if they'd give a shit what i think but that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only observation that i have for a lot of that stuff but uh, yeah. and so that's where we're at at the moment is to decide you know do we want a drummer do we want the thing and i think early on i think for the first shows we'll probably keep it fairly basic and simple i mean mark plays bass as well so chances are is you know while the the, the sounds are going he'll probably uh, have a live bass again just to fatten that bottom end out and i mean the songs are up bottom end, it's kind mm. of drives it all. Uh, so that's probably the plan. But and see how you go. I mean, it, it'll be. It might even be trial error for the first couple of things. But you know, we've got to wait and see what the first couple of things are. If I can jag some supports with, you know, uh, with, with a that sort of type band like an Art versus Science, who I really love, or um, you know, that sort of thing. Or if we just end up doing a couple of much smaller Brisbane val like something in the valley or something, then we can just get in, see how it sounds, see how people react. If, if the, you know, you can have good big sounds on your recording, but does that, those sounds translate, you know, what do we need to kick in the gear to make sure that when you do play the songs live, that it does hit people in the chest and, and get, get the booty swaying and the toes tapping and, and things. So oh, shit, um, yeah. it's exciting times, you know, to, you know, we've worked on the songs. So now let's work on them and make sure that they have that same energy live because you know playing them in your car or on headphones it's it's different to playing them through some a big fuck off set of speakers in front of some people oh god yeah yeah the dynamic change shifts as you know mate god you you know god knows how many gigs you've done but it'd be 
mm. hundreds, if not up to a thousand now, I suppose, wouldn't it, with the work that you did with Jelly Bean Jones oh. and like. We, um, in 96 through to, yeah, 96, 97, 98, 99, we averaged 220 gigs each year. That's um, nice. yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was by 2000, I'd hit about 1,000 gigs. Um, and then it slowed down, obviously, just playing my own songs and that. And I'd sort of play with Jellies again, late 2000, like 2008, 9s and stuff before I moved mm. up here, um, but not near the volume that we did back in the 90s. We were just playing fucking so much and that was great you know you're late 20s and we were just running amok that was that was work just going out every night and getting on the cans and just smashing everything it was so much it was, that was we had great so much fun, but, for fucking, you. Yeah. but how good are your chops you know you're playing in four five six seven nights a week you're just playing and it, it does you no harm that's for sure live experience you know playing in that environment you know and you, you learn while you play I mean you're playing with the same guys but you know Playing a, a lot, you know, when you're in your bedroom playing along with a song, you know, learning it or whatever is very different than playing it live with a bunch of guys. You got to hear, listen, what's going on because different rooms sound different, so you have to adapt. And you know, there's so much going on. Um, so, so it was great. True. It did, did yeah. my playing the world of good. Um, you know, I've probably lost those jobs from 20 years ago and can't do some of the things that I used to do. But you know, again, you play to your strengths. I know what I can do now, and I've made sure that that is uh, reflected in, in you know, how how we play. You know, and, and how we write and, and what we put on record. You know, you want it to be the you want to be on top of your game for everything you do. So you, you play to your strengths. It's another one of those recurring themes throughout our conversation. Play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. But yeah, I think the other thing too is that, and I, I think that it might be correct me if you feel otherwise, but I I, I don't know. I, I I'd like to include myself on in the list of seasoned musicians because I've probably done about hundred and fifty odd gigs or so. Uh, nowhere, nowhere near as many as yourself, but someone like yourself who is a seasoned musician, you can just tell when I'm playing with them, and and the people who are who have done only a handful, who or who aren't, who don't put the energy into getting their chops right before they go on stage, which goddamn that shits me so badly. When people haven't rehearsed and learnt material and they get up on stage, and I'm like, what did you fucking think was going to happen? You were going to learn it via osmosis from me or somebody else. How many times is that? I can't tell you how many times that has happened. One of the gigs and, I did with you, we had a keyboard player. Might have been, I can't remember which one it was. Actually, Lionel. It was, I think, yeah, it was Lionel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was the same. He was about 70% on the songs. Hmm. And that's fine at rehearsal because that's where you tweak everything. But you don't do that. Poor old Lionel. Yeah, I remember that gig. Yeah, he was, remember we played uh, uh, Moves Like Jagger. Yes, and the intro is all keys, you know, do, all, keys. Do, 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 all keys, and then I've got to wait for it to sort of wait for the groove to come in, and and it's not if it's not quite there, it isn't quite there, and I think we had how many rehearsals did we have before that gig? Was it like two or one? Two maybe? or three, I think. It was up at um, Billy Lee's house, yeah. Mm, yeah, and it's look as seasoned musicians, you should have. Uh, I, I think Lionel's got some other things going on, by the way. So, but but anyway, it's beside the point from the perspective that. <laughs> You know, you're up on stage and you can't learn via osmosis unless you get up. But look, I can tell you, I, I have I have bought, and the point I was, tr- was going to make earlier was that I bought, I tried to start a band once with younger musicians, emerging musicians. Holy shit, I lost I lost thousands of dollars in that band because I bought a PA and was working with. I don't, I don't care about offending anybody to be honest with you on the show, but some of those dickheads at Gig Factory. And uh, who told me, no, if you use that person there, we'll give you a bunch of gigs. Yeah, they gave me a bunch of gigs, but these people couldn't fucking perform to save their lives. Yeah, like right. the, the girl 
could not get through the four sets a night that we had. So we used to have to bring along another singer just because I wouldn't have got the gigs if I, well, it was sold to me that I wouldn't have got the gigs if I didn't work with this chick. And I wasn't able to use these other people like uh, Ian from Wasabi, for example, who I'm, yep. who's a tremendous fellow and I love to death, you know, good mm. mate of mine. I was told, no, you can't use him. And I'm like, these guys are seasoned, you know, but mm. I, I persevere with these young people and, Mate, and and then and then you get the dog ate my homework excuses why songs aren't learnt or lo- songs aren't learnt in the right key or just yeah, and yeah. it turns into a joke and you're like do you not understand like like playing at the elephant in the valley or live wire bar which you and I played at at uh, the mm-hmm. casino that's not the place where you want to be fucking up your lines in front of potentially hundred or two hundred people or whatever it is that, that are in there I don't know how many people mm-hmm. are in there at peak but it looks like it's well over a hundred anyway. Like, how do, you, how do you think you're going to feel as a musician not having learnt your material, getting up on stage? It's not like, like <laughs> you can't go anywhere. There's nowhere to go. You have to know you, you, your stuff. And my overall point there is that I just feel like as though what you and I grew up wanting to do, these emerging musicians don't want to do that. They don't want to put in the tens and hundreds and no doubt thousands of hours that we've had to do. Just, I mean... I remember sitting in my, my study in the, the boarding house, learning Faith No More songs by ear, stop, rewind, stop, rewind, stop. Just, you remember that and the Living Colour stuff and and some, even tried some primer shit. Of course, I could never get that properly, but you, 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 <laughs> you, you tried. The thing is you tried though. And then, I, then and the, and the other thing too was, and this probably alludes to the fact that we've got such an open mind about things. I had a Gloria Restefan CD and the bass playing yeah, on those albums. Baselines. Yeah. Made their Latin bass lines. So, I mean, you're just, oh, shit. You know, it's like, it's you know, they're playing this way and then they'll invert it and then they'll come back and you're like, mm. man, I'm being schooled here, but I'm going to keep up with it. And Or something like Fantasy by, remember that, by Black Box or whatever it was, yeah. trying to play along to that at the same time as you've got your Faith No More and your Living Colours and your 24-7 yeah. Spies. And, and But they just haven't grown up doing that, man. And that's I think there's this big gap now, which is why a lot of the musicians that I'm still seeing in the covers scene are our age. They're not They're younger. Old. Yeah. Mate, I, I had that thought the other day. I saw a photo. I mean, the guys in Jellies are still doing it, but it's basically Andy, my mate, who started the band, who's our age, and a bunch of kids, but he's picked and drilled into them. You're going to be in this fucking band. You will be good because you cannot harm the brand. You will not be allowed. You know, the, the reason the band's been playing 20-something years and still is booked as much as it is and still gets booked six months in advance is because... One, Jellybean Jam's always been Jellybean Jam, but it hasn't wavered. You know, the product is still there and the brand has never been harmed because, you know, everyone's replaceable, but when you when you're replaced, you're going to get a gun in. You know, you lose a gun, you get another gun in. You don't just pick your mates or mm. whatever. And it's funny you say the kids who don't do it. I don't know if it's part, you know, is it is it the whole everyone gets a trophy way of life now? You know, they're expecting to do two gigs and be signed and be the next Beyonce because they just expect everything on their plate because they're just given, they're told they're wonderful even if they suck ass at something. Oh, you're the best. You've tried so hard. Good on you. Instead of a, dude, you really need to work on this. That was shit. And um, they don't understand the whole, your brand. You've got your your own brand. And when you're playing with other people, uh, you know, I, my favourite gigs I've ever done have been in playing with guys where I'm the worst person in the band because I pull my socks up and fucking I will not so. let yeah. and I will not let anybody down. Hundred I will just make sure of it. You know, and you want to make sure you make that band sound 
as fucking good as it can, hundred um, yeah. percent. Whereas that that way of thinking isn't there now. You know, it just doesn't exist. They're just going to turn up, get some coin, and just whatevs, mate, whatevs. Um, I was the same as you. I used to get home from high school, twenty past half past three, go into my room, play my guitar, come out for dinner at six thirty. Eat my dinner, go back in and play my guitar till bedtime. So I was yeah. doing four, five, six hours a night minimum every day, just playing, playing, and same sort of vibe. You know, I remember I had my standard ones. I'd have the um, Nobody's Perfect, which was the Double Live Deep Purple mm-hmm. album. Nice. Um, Barnstorming by Jimmy Barnes. Um, I'd play through that. That's you a know, good album, I used, man. yeah. It was great. I used to just play as if I was the guitar player in the band. So you don't just sit there and shred over everything. You go, no, no, you wait. Lock you into play the whenever. groove, correct. Yeah. And um, Live and Dangerous, Thin Lizzy, which was one of my biggest influences. Oh. You know, Harmony, I mean, it's Thin Lizzy. And, I mean, I play guitar because of Gary Moore. I wanted to be a drummer when I was younger until, do you remember Beatbox on Channel 2? Beatbox was a music show. Um, no, I can't say I do. It yeah. didn't go, I only went for a couple of years. And um, Rob Hurst from Inaroa had a lot to do with it. So he used to get a lot of cool. Uh lesser-known live oils videos on there and shit like that. But me and mate, we used to watch that religiously on a Saturday morning or whenever it was and just watching it one day and they had this video on, Gary Moore, never heard of him, live video. And by the end of it, I'm just going, yeah, uh, speechless, going fucking hell. And then the next week they played a different live song. And by the end of that song, like having seen all of nine minutes of the guy, I just said to mum, I, I wanted, I've got to do that. I don't want drums. I want to, I, I have to do that. That's it. I just got to do that. And then to practice, to practice, I fucking played and played and played, you know. Um, I managed to talk my way backstage at a Gary Moore gig when I was in London in 2002. I got to see him at the, I'm going to say Hammersmith Odium, but I don't think it, no, it was Brixton Academy. Brixton Academy, he was doing the Scars show. It was the last one. Managed to get backstage and have a photo with him, and he was a cranky old bastard, but I don't care because I met God, had my photo, and I was very, very happy about it. So that was good. And just yeah. being, just hearing it play, it was just like phenomenal. I mean, he toured with Thin Lizzy in 77 for Rocktober, the one at the Opera House where you see a bit of footage sometimes. I've spoken so, to Scott Gorham about that performance. Oh. I've spoken to Scott. And, and, and I just spoke to Ricky Warwick, who's the current singer in Thin Lizzy, like two days ago, three days ago. Yeah, about that. I saw that on your thing and I thought, fuck, yeah. I've got to listen to that soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, I've got to say, the Thin Lizzy guys, I wasn't – I said to Ricky, I said, look, I've got to be honest, like being a bass player, uh, I didn't say that to him, but I, was, I can say it now, give the full context to it. Being a bassist, I, I really shunned a lot of old school rock stuff like ACDC, Thin Lizzy and stuff. It mm. wasn't until – um, I said five years, it'd been the recent five years, actually longer, that's probably 20 years, but, you know, who's counting 15 years difference, yeah. you know. But remember when Guitar World and Bass Player Magazine or whatever, they used to release those CDs where you could play yes. along? That yep. was with, that, that that demystified so many bands for me, like the Stranglers, the mm. the Jam, and, of course, Thin Lizzy, the big one. Yeah. And I just became I just became enthralled in, in what Phil was doing after that. Just he's completely different bass player to what I would be. But just he's he, – see, I think Phil is the greatest rock front man of all time. Yeah, right. Wow. And I, I nowadays I do – and speaking to Scott about it, who was up there on that stage, that that Sydney Opera House moment, I've got to tell you, man, when I've had sort of come home from wherever I'm at and I've had seven or eight beers and start hitting mm. the vodka, man, guess what comes on? It's that performance. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's wow. a, I put it on from start to finish, man, and I just sit in my chair that you can see behind mm. me here with my Mac here on, and I look at it, and, and I was so grateful to talk to Scott about that 
who recognised the importance of the performance, who yeah. gave me the... Because you, you know what happened, don't you? It was supposed to be a small thing, like, you know, just a couple of thousand people. Man, something like a hundred and... Okay, between... I, I don't know what the actual figure is, between 100,000 and 150,000 people turned up for that. You'll never get accurate figures for that. No, but, no. but just think, Gary... Scott, I never remember the drummer's name. What you, well, it was Mark Norseep. It should have been Brian Downey, but I, I can't remember the story why Brian Downey uh-huh. didn't tour. So it was Mark Norseep playing on, on drums uh, for yeah. that gig and for that tour. Um, but Brian Downey is the shuffle king. No, no one plays a shuffle like that guy. On, on, mm-hmm. And a lot of their drums are always that. And he just, oh, man, unreal, unreal. Oh yeah, yeah, no. yeah, and and talking to Scott about it, talking to Ricky about it. Ricky um, is a tremendous fellow, by the way. God, he's just one of those guys who's a fan, but has achieved this this great dream and this accomplishment that he has. But he, he said uh, in another interview, but I spoke to him about it, was that he's not standing in Phil's shoes because he just can't. Nobody can, but he's standing beside them and he's keeping them. He's not even. I think he said words the effect of when he thinks of Thin Lizzy, he's not in it. It's Phil. Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. But you've got to bring the the music to the people as he's doing right now, and um, and 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 talking to to Scott about it too. Talking to the guy because man, I'd love to write his biography, Scott Gorham, because he's he went through the same hell that Phil did, you know. But he came out yeah. of the other side. Phil didn't. Yeah, no, true, very true. You know, yeah, you so, read all those interviews about you know the the mischief they used to get into when when Brian Robertson was in the band and all that sort of stuff as well, and it's. Mm. Oh, Jesus. I mean, it's a different era, and that's the shit you could do. And, I mean, there wasn't social media, so there was a lot of shit that you could do. Um, exactly, yeah. But, no, to, to live through it when, you know, you one of your best mates is doing the same thing and doesn't, it's, it's got to be scary. It's got to be – it's got to – if that doesn't slap you around the head, then I don't know what will. Yeah, I don't think it ever leaves you. Like, look at Leonard Skinner, you know, when, when they had the plane crash. I know that wasn't drug and alcohol. I think they hit it pretty hard, by the way. But still, I think when you live through that era when – like rock stars in that era, they could fucking play their instruments too. Oh, Talking wow. about Thin Lizzy, I, like that that performance, go back to that Sydney performance. Mm. I, I'd, I've spoken to Bob Daisley, you know, Aussie's bassist, who's yeah. done a lot of work with, with Gary Moore as well yeah, about sure. playing because he, he's written a book on Gary um, who, who, he, who he played bass for for years, like 20 or yeah. 30 years or something. Always, I think even when he was with Aussie, he was always playing with Gary on the side or, or thereabouts. Mm. But, you know... When you watch that performance and you look at how accomplished they are as musicians, like I'll never forget listening to listening to Daniel John say for Pedestrian TV, and I've written something about this. That's uh, I might have been taken down there because I wrote it for Hot Metal. Remember Hot Metal? I remember. Do I remember Hot Metal? Well, I wrote for the digital edition, and um, I did okay. a review of a tribute album. But Daniel John said something along the lines of he didn't want people just to know him for being the guy in silver chair. Now I happen to think alongside of Michael Hutchins and a few others, but Daniel Johns, I think is easily one of our most talented rock frontmen ever. Mm. Australia's, you know, I don't even like silver chair to be honest with you. I'm just saying where talent is, but he, he just doesn't understand what he's got. You can't deny when Daniel Johns is up on stage, and doing his thing, he's captivating, doing what he's doing, especially Absolutely. when he's in the moment, but not the latest stuff. He's lost it. He's over here somewhere in the with the fairies. But when I look at Gary Moore's playing and I see the command of his craft that he has, and Scotty too, but that particular performance, if you, next time, if you ever watch that performance right the way through, yeah. look at Gary's face when he's soloing and just look. He's just he's right there, man. He's just present. He's boom. He probably doesn't even know what he's doing. 
you know, but because he's so yeah. into it and he's practiced so well rehearsed and just that's that's his thing. He's a he's he's what Jordan Peterson has said, said: do something, be the best at it. That's it, right there. I mean, you can't get better than that for anything. Mm. No, too true, too true, mate. Um, the those two songs that I talked about for Gary, they ended up being uh, songs from his video called uh, "The Emerald Isles," and that was the first time he went back to Ireland. And Bob Daisley's on that one as well, mm. and um, and that's the first time I saw the. The, you know, I, I hadn't heard of Thin Lizzy at that stage, but on that Emerald Isles video, it goes to, you know, talks about a bit of past because Phil gets up and plays a song, uh, Prison Walkways, on that when they were in Ireland and says flashes back to a time when they were playing together in Thin Lizzy and it goes to a bit of that show and you see it, it's at the Opera House and and it's just Gary just going, doing That's his the thing. One. And, yeah. And, uh, again, everything he did and touched, I mean, I watched that back then. It was VHS so much that it, it's like a Caddyshack or a Blues Brothers where you know every single word, every single nuance from oh, yes. a 90-minute video and you just sit there and say every word that's happening and sing along and know every move that he's made and every bend and everything that's going on but still love it as if it's the first time you've watched it, you know. Um, and, and, yeah, it is. And, you can't get it on DVD or anything, so you got to watch dodgy, crackly versions on YouTube. Yeah. But it's still worth it just to watch it play. Because uh, yeah, I've got to give YouTube never got credit. Close yeah. to that. Never got close to that level, and I don't care because I'd rather have you know God and me well underneath, <laughs> well, well, well underneath. You know. Yeah. Well, they're aspirational performers, and I think that's why their destiny is to perform for for hundreds of millions of people over the time that since they started mm-hmm. playing. Meaning their live performances are now what, what I was going to give YouTube credit for. I know we've whacked it beforehand, but there's been so many live performances that I'd heard so much about, like some of those early Southern Suns performances. You know, with Jack mm-hmm. Jones and Virgil Donati. And and I look at them and I think, oh my God, those guys. Because I've spoken to Jack about some of that stuff too, and he's a wicked. You know, he was in the the Australian Van Halen show or did some Van Halen covers through the eighties. This is when, yeah, this is how good a guitarist this guy is. He's a freak, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's another guy I want to write a book with, man. Yeah, there's so many of these. I I, I speak to these people and I'm like, man. Because a lot of music journals just sort of touch the surface and talk about the obvious things. They never actually dive into the stuff. The rehearsal rooms, the relationships, the broken guitar strings, as I call it. They yeah. don't go into this stuff, the stuff that you and I live and breathe and have done for, for decades. They don't know how to. And I think it's because they're not musicians and they don't know how do you, how do you survive. You mentioned you, you went drove to Seattle from, from Utah or wherever it was. and Boise, it, Idaho. Boise, Idaho, Idaho. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Boise, Idaho, through a snowstorm. And they're like, we're probably half of that. You were death riding. You there were. Well, <laughs> there was one part that was a bit dodge. I mean, we'd stopped on the highway a couple of times because we were behind, you know, those big trucks with the shovels at the front. That was in front of us just clearing the ice off the road. Oh, and wow. eventually yeah. at one side they just slowed down. So we're behind them and slowed down. What's going on? They've gone, too much. we just got to wait. Okay. And that's it. You just wait until they say it's time to go again. But we pulled up. We were getting ice. You know, you get ice all over the, the front glass of the van. So we'd pulled up underneath a, a bridge, like, a you know, an overpass on the freeway. Yeah. We'd go underneath so we could chisel the ice off the uh, the windscreen, which growing up in Australia is not something you really have to do too often. We'd never, never do, yeah. Ever, ever. I don't think um, I've ever done it, yeah. 
no, it was pretty weird. Um, but we were there and just doing it. And then there was this car coming in the distance. Yeah, no worries. We just, you know, watched him while we're doing this. And, you know, if we're sort of here, he's coming from here. And then all of a sudden we see him go a bit sideways. So he's lost it on this highway. And he's just started sliding. And he was getting closer to us and closer to us. And he missed us by about a foot and a half. And then just kept sliding past us down the embankment, up the top of the embankment. And it, honestly, it was n- the only thing it was was luck that he didn't hit us because he just, mm. you can't control it. He's sliding on ice and he slid easy hundred and something metres and just missed us. So it was just us that where we stopped was exactly the right place to not get hit. Yeah. And you're just going, that's, again, you don't see that in Australia too often. You know, you've got to worry about the kangaroos jumping in, you know, on the highway at sunset. So you don't worry about the dude sliding on the ice. You know, but you've got to give to get to. So we were actually late for that gig to Seattle. We um we, we were supposed to go on first, but we weren't there yet. So Bucko Nine jumped on and played and they finished and we turned up about 10 minutes before to go on, rushed on, jumped on, played, got off, and you just go, we just drove. We were in the car for 11 hours and we've just played for 30 minutes. And that was That's it. That's what's got to be done, though. That's the, to your point. That's it's part the part of gig. the game, mate. Part of the game. Tell you what, the beers tasted fucking real good that night. Thumbs up to Olympus beer, one of the local beers. We were into those that night. That was delightful. Um, it's funny how you remember. I mean, I remember playing at this place because, you know, Nirvana had played there, and that's always nice when you play on the stages where, you know, you, you go. Yes. Either I've played, you know, I, I mean, in Sydney, growing up in Sydney, the first time I got to play at Selena's was a buzz because I'd seen so many fucking bands there, and all of a sudden you're there going, yeah, this is sweet. I don't belong here, but this is fucking cool. Um, and, and playing in those sort of venues as well, you know, House of Blues at Boston. Just nice. That was a great big room and a good stage and the crowd was so cool. Um, those, they're just buzz nights, you know. And Yeah, but the, the drive from Boise is um, – yeah, that was, a, that was a long way, but again, but it's... you've got that story, and that's what I'm saying about the the. Sorry, to interrupt, but it's it just I just need to make this point about you know the young musicians locally here in Brisbane who have tried mm-hmm. to recruit into a band and they don't even bother to learn the fucking songs, yet alone even think about driving 11 hours across country in a blizzard, mate. That would be yeah. hell for them, like in their cozy little corner of God knows wherever they are. Probably a failure to launch situation where they're just haven't moved out of their parents' home and they're 32 or 33 or whatever it might be. That's what I say, young man. That's what I'm talking about. That's not young. I mean, oh, 32 I and... talking about teenagers or something. Look, I, I, one of them, I think, no, 20, 21, and I think the eldest is about 30, 32. And then I think I had my first, like, no, 35 I was when my eldest daughter was born, but I was married, certainly married by the time I was 32, 33. Hmm. So... Yeah, definitely was because we had our 11th anniversary uh, the other day, a couple of days back. Mm-hmm. And and you think, you just think, like, I wanted to do what you just described. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in a van for 11 hours with my comrades, you know, yeah. go, playing, supporting Faith No More or Soundgarden or Living Colour or Megadeth. That's what the dream was. It was always like, imagine doing that and just being, because they were heroes, these people. Mm-hmm. And to be given the opportunity just to be able to to have that experience. It's gone now. I'm too old now. It could, it could never happen because I think you've got to be young to 
Oh, my, my feelings for me are I have to be young, I think, to do that. I'm sort of going into a different phase of my life, I think, where I just don't find it that attractive anymore. But in my 20s, when I was desperate, mate, living down in Sydney in a band called Velveteen, desperate to try to get a band up off the ground. That was the irony. Back when I had all of the time and the inclination and the energy in the world, couldn't find a band. And Velveteen were a great band, but it virtually ended as soon as I got into it. Not oh, nothing right. I did, of course, but it just, you know, the bands are like, mate, they just sort of fall yeah. apart and that happens. But living living in Brisbane, <laughs> the amount of opportunity I've got, there's been so many. Mm. And in terms of even taking it further with maybe one or two, I just could never take advantage of it because I was too entrenched in a career, had a mortgage. Yeah, true. It's exactly to your point, what you said earlier. Jobs, you can't just up and leave and and because it's not the done thing. You can't just leave an account executive role because who's going to do your job whilst you're not there? It's actually not an essential service, but it's a role where if you're not there, shit can go wrong if you're not there in the day-to-day and things yeah. don't get resolved. It's like you go on holidays, you come back after two weeks, there's two weeks worth of work there for you waiting. Yeah. You know, that sort of yeah. shit. One yeah. of those, yeah. You almost don't want to take holidays. That was the gag, you know. Just take sort of an extended weekend and then just deal mm. with Monday's work on the Tuesday and at least you can sort of catch up. Yeah. Doesn't make you feel like shit. No, yeah, but but I think that's that's what I hope. You know, with COVID, mm. too. It's funny you mentioned the uh, getting away and things. I mean, doing this tour yeah. was only you know four years ago, and you know, if we were, if I was younger touring the states, I'm sure I would have been on the cans and just running a mark and just running on empty the whole time. Yeah. Whereas this time we're a bit older. We got long. We got fucking long drives in between towns, and I don't want to be hungover for those driving. A car I'm not familiar with on the wrong side of the road on a road I've never driven before in the fucking snow. Yes. I I need I want my wits about me. Um, and so <laughs> I remember you know each night I'd say oh we're doing this and this and I'm, I remember putting a post in we're in Reno so you know little you know the biggest little, little town in the state yeah. whatever it's called and you know we were staying in a casino we just played some cool little dive bar and I'd gone back to my room I got myself a hot chocolate and I was just repacking my suitcase to fit things better and so i just sent a post back to my mates you know who wanted to know what i was up to how, how's the gig oh good i'm doing this and they're all getting the shits they're going you're fucking touring the states with punk band you we, you know we want to be living vicariously through you <laughs> you're having a hot chocolate and repacking your suitcase would you fuck off and go and yeah. get back into the just go and drink more beers and run around with your shirt off and your pants off or something <laughs> stupid and i'm thinking if it was 15 years ago you wouldn't have had to tell me to do that but it's it's yeah. it's a different phase now, you know. I'm forty something, and I don't want to be hungover and two hours sleep and and drive. I couldn't imagine how bad that would be. Yeah, I would. I mean, I, I'm at a point now where I need to drink at home. I don't even drink when I'm out, just because it's yeah, right. it's it's a, first thing. It's more of a control thing in that I just want to be in complete control whenever I'm out. Not that anything weird's happened or anything. I yeah. just I, I remember playing the gigs. I mean, look, we're always driving, so you can have sort of two or three. I think we'd have that was it. Yeah. That's a it's night it. out. That's that's Cheers. all you've got. Yeah. Well, I had my first beers on Friday night since June and I had maybe five, but I had a Coke or a water in between each one. And I'm at Nunda, so I'm, you know, I'm only four stations from the valley. Uh, so it's it's an easy get in, get out. It's very it's not like I've got to, you know, sit in a bus for an hour and a half to get home again, you know. It's it's very easy and quick to do and not not I, like I, my hundred and hundred and forty dollar uh, Uber fares that I get when I'm I'm on northern Gold Coast. So Valley to yeah. back down to here's about a hundred in surge pricing it can be more. Yeah, that'd suck. That'd be shit. No way. Christmas <laughs> time or what have you. But oh but look it's the the thing is though, if I'm going in to watch Metal Church or um 
Watain or whoever it might be, that's when I get on the cans. That's the only because I go in by myself. Because mm. it's the interesting thing. I mean, you know me as a bassist, and I love funk. I do, but I mm. tend to all of these bands that I've, I've got a connection with tend to be all these hardcore metal bands, thrash metal bands, mm. and all this sort of stuff. So I, I don't know anybody who likes them. It's just me. <laughs> so uh, yeah. there are a few other crossover bands. So I go in by myself and have a few cans, and then I've got to come back and I just look at it because I've gotten to the show for nothing. Often meet the band afterwards. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I I have to pay for the beer, but I sort of think, well, the show normally costs about sixty bucks, fifty or sixty bucks. Mm-hmm. So I can drink that much in alcohol. So that's right. about seven or eight, nine beers, something like that. That's definitely my limit. And then the Uber on the way back, I just go, meh. It happens once every three months. So big deal. It is, and that, and that's it. and that's honestly the way you got to look at it. Because if you're penny pinching and stuff, oh, I can't afford this. It's like, well, it's a life experience. When you get to see these dudes hang out after a gig and and get to rub shoulders and and talk shit with people that you respect, and you know you can talk to, and it's a different conversation talking to musos as well. I went and saw a um, a young punk band called Mitch Please, who my favourite song of last year was called is Polygon Pit, which is one of their songs, and it's just so much fun. It's hilarious. It's unreal. And I'm, I bought a T-shirt. I haven't bought a T-shirt at a gig for like 20 years, and I bought one of their shirts because I just Sweet. it was good fun. I love them. Plus they're young, and I really want to support them a bit. But the guitar player had this custom thing where the the frets weren't straight. They sort of went like this in towards the middle, and it was for tonality and some sort of science and math behind it. And we had a great chat about that for like 10, 15 minutes about where he got it from and he, rec- you know, obviously I've asked the question going, why are you playing your chords straight when your frets are like this? And, you know, there was that instant, all right, let's talk muso stuff and everyone else yeah. is like, well, fucking whatever. And it is, it's a different conversation when you can talk to people who, you know, uh, know that scene or know that sort of vibe yeah. and things. And it's it was a good chat and it was cool and, you know, they were good kids. And I told Pete, next time Porkers come up, I said, we've got to make sure these kids play with us because they're so much fun. They're great. I love them. Uh, Polygon, Polygon Pit is the, is the song to listen to. It's hilarious. It's so much fun. And again, you know, the whole, is it the most technically brutal song? No, but fuck, it makes me smile. And I can listen to it a ton of times because it just has that energy, has that fun about it. It's just good, fun Brisbane punk song and, yeah, makes me feel good, and that's what music's there that's for. That's what it's that, all about. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so simple, so simple. <laughs> no worries, mate. Well, look, I'll wrap things up, but um, yeah. I've already asked you about your socials, man, but uh, thanks heaps for the chat. I, I've enjoyed it, man. I just... You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was David Gale from the bands The Porkers and Karoshi. Thanks very much for listening.